Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new episode of Fresh Cuts. It's officially our first episode of 2022, but as is tradition, uh, we are going to be talking about movies from the previous year for the first episode of every calendar year, as it is our top 10 show of 2021 movies. So I will introduce our regular cast, starting with Mr. Venom. How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, list lovers. I hope you're ready for my top 10 Norwegian romantic comedies. That's what we're doing today, right? <laughs> oh, I thought it was Dutch art house splatter comedies. Oh, God damn it. Wrong show. Yeah, yeah I think that's tomorrow's I think that's tomorrow's recording, unless I'm the one that screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. trying to fit some of those in. <laughs> cool. Oh, just going All delirious right. here. Out of boredom. <laughs> All right, well, uh, then I will move it right along by introducing our other regular host, Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's going on, guys? Uh, great to be on this side of the uh, list exchange for once, but uh, always a fun time. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, as I, uh, as I already said, this is going to be a list show, so hey, there's no synopsis to read, um, no film details uh-huh. to get into just yet. <laughs> um, so, you know... With with these, uh, we don't really have much to talk about before we get into the list 2021. I mean, as a year, you know, another year of, I guess I would say partial lockdowns, probably depending on the region you lived in, how strict the rules are, uh, you know, how things got adjusted throughout the year. Uh, but for the most part, theaters were back open again, um, and we were back to the theaters, so we got a good mix of theatrical releases um, that we actually got to see in the theater. Um, so I would probably expect a good mix on lists this year, maybe. Who knows? Everyone will probably be different with their lists. Um, I would say, you know, and I'll, I guess we can go around the panel with this as we get into the list, uh, but since I'm already talking, I'll just say... 2021 was kind of an interesting year. You know, before I actually started putting together my list, I kind of looked at it as a down year. And I, I, I would still say, overall, it's probably still a weaker year. But when I was going over the movies I liked the best, you know, to assemble my list, I still ended up pretty happy with the movies in my top ten and even some honorable mentions. I was really afraid of, like, I'd get to the back half of my list and not be happy that I had to put some of them on there on what you call a top 10. But after, you know, um, just looking over, you know, all the movies we did on fresh cuts and then somehow I found time to cram like these last couple of weeks, not as much as I usually do. I very much admit that even just, uh, for watching movies, it was a down year for me. I just had a lot more going on with, you know, family and just less time to kind of, just sit around and watch movies in volume. So um, that said, I'm still not displeased with my list itself. Um, I would just say, yeah, overall, I don't know. We'll, I, I guess we'll get into it as we go through our list. We'll see what everyone else has to say. But before we start with the list, Venom, I mean, do you have anything to say overall about the year 2021 when it comes to horror? I don't buy into the concept of down years and up years. We we know from the amount of movies that we watch that over 500 horror movies every year is released, and that number goes up every year. Uh, talk to somebody like Mark Nato from the horror cast. He'll tell you about the plethora of horror films that are released. So 
when people say a down year, I tend to think that maybe they're talking about the theaters, maybe theatrical horror, because admittedly, you know, we haven't had as great a year for theatrical horror, uh, you know, since 2019 was like IMDb's best rated year for theatrical horror films. And obviously with the pandemic, uh, you know, we're not going to get back to 2019 theatrical quality, probably for at least another year or two, uh, you know, until this whole thing kind of starts to go away so that production companies can go back to making, you know, their big productions and everything else. So I, I had no problem putting my top 10 together. I had no qualms. In fact, I have, I have about five honorable mentions that on any given year could easily have made my top 10. Uh, I'm the kind of person that I'll find something that I like, no matter how up or down somebody might call a horror year. I'm always going to find quality stuff out there. And I'm just as happy with my top five this year as I have been for the last four or five years, in all honesty. So, yeah, um, I, I think it was a fine year. As far as me personally, I did watch more films this year than I did in 2020. Not by a grand number. I watched like maybe 11 more films in 2021 than I did in 2020. As far as, you know, new release horror films, of course. Um, yeah. And, you know, and that that's obviously more pandemic. I've been working from home. I work for DirecTV. So obviously I have access to a lot of, you know, cinematic releases, things like that. So um, it, it makes sense that I watched more movies this year, but I, I don't really see a drop in quality in any way. I think we're still getting great horror from Indonesia, from, you know, from South Korea, from Japan, obviously America, Canada, Germany. I mean, we, I still have a good amount of foreign films on my top 10, maybe not as much as I'd like to usually, but I still think that um, – all genres and countries were represented pretty well in 2021. Obviously, we're not getting the the release output again because of the pandemic, but I'm very forgiving of that, and I always take that into account. So, yeah, to me, 2021 is just as strong a year as any other. Just maybe at the theater, it wasn't as strong. You know, we didn't have any hereditaries or it chapter ones or you know big big release you know event horror films. Yes, we had the occasional Candyman, Quiet Place two, things like that. But obviously those films were getting released in theaters when we were just going back to theaters. So, you know, they didn't do the numbers that something like, you know, Spider-Man or Godzilla versus Kong did. So, yeah, it, it's a weird year. I think, it's you know, obviously everyone's opinion on the actual year of 2021 is going to be a little bit different. But ultimately, I'm always optimistic when it comes to horror. I, I don't like to say down years because. Like I said, I'm very happy with my list. I'm very happy with the 120 or so films that I watched. Obviously, they're not all gems. You know, they they can't all be A24 films. You know, every now and again, you got to watch Aquarium of the Dead. It happens. Or Eight versus Monster. It happens. But, um, yeah, I'm very happy with the quality of at least the top of the horror genre this year. Definitely. Cool. Uh, Don, you have anything to add to that for the year? Uh, um, I, I think he pretty much said a lot of what I was going to say. Um, I, I do agree the theatrical quality was down significantly, uh, to the point that I think I, I know for a fact, a lot of what, what, we, what got released to theaters this year would not have made my list last year if they were released as intended. So I think that just speaks to the quality either of last year or the ineffectiveness of this year, because, 
a lot of the films that were scheduled to have been released last year would not have made my list if they were to, would have been released last year, but yet they're on my list for this year. So, yeah, I, I do agree that there is a lack of the quality in the theaters, but speaking in terms of the, in, the indie state, and I mean, I'm, you know, probably like a notch or two below uh, Mark Nato just because, you know, I have my own site that I get my stuff for. So I see a lot more than you guys do. Um, not as much as him, but I'm, like I said, a notch below him. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I think is. The indie stuff that came out was a lot better than what the mainstream theat- the mainstream theaters got. So um, I, I'm starting to see a s- upbring- uh, uprising or upswelling. I think is the proper term. I think now we're starting to just we're starting in the right direction. We're not completely back yet, but I think we're we're heading back to the good the the, the good old days. Um, I think probably. Maybe by end of summer next year, I think we'll start seeing great, you know, like the top tier quality stuff again. But we'll see. Um, uh, For my list, um, I'm kind of going off the beaten path again um, for reasons I'll explain at the end. But um, my list, I ended up just I did what I did last year and I just kept it exclusive to fresh cut films. So I don't have anything that wasn't covered on the show. And a couple of the stuff that's on my list would not be on my personal top 10 list i'm only going by what we covered on the show so nice yeah um there's a reason for that and i'll explain at the end as i look at my list there's actually only two in my top 10 that we did not review on fresh cuts so that's pretty good as long as it's not like more than half because then that makes me feel like we missed a lot of quality films but ultimately i think we did pretty good with our picks in 2021 yeah uh, looking over mine, I think there's, let's see, one, two, I think 50% of mine are not. Wow! <laughs> um, but I know when I say that, there are uh, like two or three of those were ones that we were considering doing that we just kind of went with other ones at the time because mm-hmm. I know I, there were, I know there was like plenty of weeks where we didn't have anything planned going into the week and we all kind of threw out like one or two suggestions without knowing overly too much about the movie. And it wasn't a matter of like, Oh, it doesn't sound good. It was just like, uh, like, you know, it's kind of just randomly picking something. There's also so it's not that where there's also a few occasions where I think we had something just like so obviously set in stone that we weren't moving it. And we mm-hmm. ended up missing something big that came out like either the week before or at the same time. Yeah, I, I I remember a couple of days where I was like, okay, we, you know, that's this would have been a fun one, but oh, and I, no, we're heading, you know, over, to, we're doing Candyman or we're doing yeah, Conjuring exactly. or doing Saw. So yeah, yeah, there was a few there was a few times where I remember seeing like, oh, this would have been a fun one to talk about, but we're going to, you know, we're doing Candyman, you know, that's a sure. date circled in the on the calendar. Or we're doing um, Malevolent or we're doing Halloween Kills, and there's like no way to alter the schedule yeah. and fit something else yeah. in. So, I mean, we almost exactly. lost out on the opportunity to talk about last night in Soho. If we didn't do two episodes that week, we wouldn't have been able to review Soho. Exactly. So. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. another one too. Yeah. Cause we doubled up. Yeah. And, and, yep. and yeah. And that, that's the thing when, when we keep pretty strict to our format of, um, you know, one episode a week covering one movie on each episode, what 
what happens a lot of the times is when you have multiple movies released in a week, if you don't cover that that week, it gets lost in the shuffle because you're there's you're something doing, brand new to cover the following week. Yeah, you're only guaranteed 50 episodes a week, and there's more than 50 movies released in the year. So, yeah, with with especially with VOD becoming such a dominant um, uh, release format, you know, over I guess the last decade or maybe even longer, um, it 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 makes it so that the format of the show, we don't really have the opportunity to go backwards a lot with, you know, once it's been out for, you know, more than a few weeks, it's like, well, there's so much newer stuff now um, that uh, unless we're really like pressed for something and to cover. Defeats the point defeats the point of calling it yeah. fresh cuts. Exactly. So, cool. well, um, what, what did you guys want to do first? Did you want to do honorable mentions or did you want to do the list first? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the standard format, you know, we'll do 10 through 2, we'll do our honorable mentions, and then we'll do our number ones. Okay. Sounds good. So I think that's uh, what we usually Venom? do anyway. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I believe so, yeah. Um, Venom, I usually kick it to you first for general thoughts, so why not keep it that? So let's uh, get into it. What is your number 10? All right, folks. Well, my, my number 10 is going to start the controversy right away. Is it a horror movie? Is it not a horror movie? Ultimately, you know, as with most podcasts, we're not here trying to convince you of what the absolute best movies of the year were. We're just conveying what our favorite films of the year is or are. Excuse me. <laughs> English. Anyway, um, if you're upset about my number 10 pick, just realize that. Uh, at any given time throughout the year, I had three different movies at my number 10, and I'll, and most of them are probably going to be something that pe- most people won't consider horror. At one point, The Green Knight was my, was my number 10 of the year. That's a movie that is arguably not a horror film, especially if you've read the original epic poem. You know, it's not really a horror story. Uh, at another point in the year, Godzilla vs. Kong was my number 10, and ultimately... As a fan of kaiju films, I consider creature features horror. I don't care. Uh, the story of a 300-foot fucking lizard is not a comedy, last I checked. You know, so even <laughs> though people consider them action movies or, you know, whatever you want to go with, uh, you know, a lot of people just don't consider kaiju films horror. I absolutely do. And Godzilla Kong was my number 10 for a little while. But... The movie that ended up at my number 10, and this is after all of my rewatches this week. I rewatched 18 movies in the last two weeks. Um, obviously, my top 18 of the year. Well, actually, like my top 15 or 16 with a couple of first time watches, you know, some movies that I had heard some good things about. But anyway, my number 10 is going to be the first of two A24 films on my list. Anyone who's listened to me for more than a few years is not going to be surprised that I absolutely adore A24 and that I genuinely love about 90% of the movies they release. Um, Though, if you heard my opinions on The Green Knight when it first came out, you might be a little bit surprised, but we'll leave that for another day. So, uh, after wasting as much time as possible, my number 10 movie is Lamb. Uh, like I said, another film that people don't consider horror. A lot of people are looking at it as a drama, a dark fantasy, a surreal thriller, you know, whatever you want to go with is fine with me. If you don't think it's horror, Hey, that's awesome. 
But in my opinion, I felt enough tone and tension throughout the film. I felt, you know, the, the horrific situation that this young couple was going through on their isolated farm. And then, of course, you know, once once you get to the really over the top stuff at the end, um, you know, there's a lot of interpretation involved. What did that what did that creature at the end represent? Um, you know, did the events of the film actually occur? There's so many questions involved, but ultimately, you know, this is written and directed by Vladimir Johansson. Uh, absolutely loved every minute of this film. This is not a film for everyone. Um, this is a very slow film. This is a very plotting film. It just, it, it, it definitely drives home its character study of this couple who's obviously dealt with miscarriages in the past and potentially maybe dealing with one again during this film. It's all up to the viewers interpretation. So yeah, I'm going to shut up about this one in case anybody else has something to say, but yeah, my number 10 for 2021 will be lamb. Well, I know you saw it. Like, yeah, the fact that it's your number 10, now I'm kind of kicking myself for not, like, even <laughs> asking if it was eligible because I really like the movie, too. And if I would have thought to ask, there's a good chance it might have <laughs> made my list. But uh, that's all right. You know, I'm not going to stay firm and not switch anything, like, nice. during the show. You know, I don't want to play the game, but... Um, so I guess at this point, all I can say is all in pick and, uh, yeah, you know, maybe it'll get brought up again. Uh, well, at least by me during honorable mention segment. So stay tuned for that. But, uh, I'm a big fan of the movie as well. Good pick. Yeah. Don, did you get a chance to see lamb? Never even thought it was a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, and and you wouldn't be wrong. I mean, like I said, I anybody who says it's not, I wouldn't argue with them. Um, it, it's, you know, a dark fantasy, I think, is probably one of the best descriptions you can give it. But, I mean, there's allegory and subtext all throughout this film. And you guys know how much I love subtext. So, yeah, a Lamb worked for me in every way. I, despite its incredibly slow pace, and I mean to the point where, like, there's no dialogue even spoken for what, like the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie or something? It is a slow movie. I mean, definitely, if you're gonna, if you're gonna sit down for this one, prepare yourself for a long, slow character study. But ultimately, I absolutely love the film. It worked for me in every way. All right, Don, uh, let's hear your number 10. All right. Uh, so like I said, uh, my list is basically exclusive to Fresh Cut Films. And my number 10 is The Stylist. Um, I, nice. Yeah, um, I was really surprised. Um, normally, I don't, I don't go for these kinds of character study films. Um, they're not my kind of thing, but... I was really impressed with this one. Um, she's a really fun to follow. Uh, the, I thought the story was a lot of, was far more engaging than I expected. The kills are nice and brutal, you know, good stuff there. And yeah, uh, I, I I enjoyed it more than I expected to. So uh, I came in kind of high on this one. So number nine was the stylist. Hey. Number ten, sorry. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking. I was looking at the numbering on my thing, and I, I was crossing it off, and I was looking up at the next one. That's why. <laughs> yeah, number ten is the stylist. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, I because, mean, because. Well, I, no, I was just gonna say if like I was sticking to the format of only movies we do, because there's a good chance mine would have ended up on the list as well, because uh, I really liked it 
tube. I liked where it went. Uh, and that finale, you know, was just super cool. Like, it was uh, pretty cool. I remember us having thing. a lot of issues. I think, we had a, I think we all had a lot of issues with the finale. I think, but... Yeah, I, I think I had the most issues with the finale only because I predicted it. And I don't really like that. Like when I'm not trying to figure out where a movie is going, but the ending just kind of pops into my head like, oh, no, is this where they're going? And even though I agree the ending is effective, if you don't expect it coming, even if you do see it coming, it's still a pretty damn good ending. So, yeah, uh, yeah that, I think I was the one who had the biggest issue with that ending. Yeah, I, I did, too. Mine was really more on the lines of um, timing issues, getting everything Sort of like how they would have um, enough time to put everything into motion to pull it off. But, yeah, um, other than that, um, I, don't, I don't have any really issues with it. Um, you know, like I said, she's an engaging figure. I like where they take the story. There's a few bits of suspense where, you know, I think there's one where she has to, like, get out of the house when there's a murder. She's just committed a murder and she has to get out of the house without no- being notified or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it was a lot, lot more fun than I expected. So. Yep. I fully expect we will be talking about this again. <laughs> nice. Sweet. All right. Well, um, that goes to me. So my number 10. So um, I have kind of like love-hate relationship with horror comedies. Um, you know, straight, straight off the bat, I, I can be very particular uh, about even just the style of comedies I like, period. Um, with Alvin trying to do like a hybrid horror comedy. And then one of these, a lot of times with horror comedies is I feel like the gimmick often peters out in a lot of them where the story isn't interesting enough to sustain, you know, feature length. Um, but what I found with this movie was I found not only the story to be engaging, but the character. I thought they nailed the small town feel. You know, a lot of times uh, you get this issue when they're depicting small towns and as you think they're almost making fun of small town folks rather than just kind of like highlighting their quirkiness or, you know, whatever makes them unique. (laughs) But I felt like the movie did a great job of kind of being endearing towards small town. And, you know, I I will say, yeah, on the first time watch, um, I was pretty happy with like the the reveal of uh, who uh, ended up being the uh, I guess I'll say villain for now. I mean, it might be this probably obvious to you guys at least what the movie I'm talking about is. But um, I had a lot of fun with this one, and it almost feels like, uh, it once we kind of get to the premier of the story with everyone kind of in one location trying to figure out you know what's going on, where half the characters in kind of disbelief for a little while. Um, it almost turns into like a fun horror version of clue uh, going on. And then we get uh, the reveal and I thought everything turned out well, but uh, I'm talking about werewolves within. I just had a blast (laughs) with this movie. It it was kind of an unassuming, you know, I I expected like a, you know, to get like a fun little story out of it, but I was really impressed with the writing in it more than anything. And, uh, uh, rewatching it, I was just like, okay, yes, like it, I initially thought was validated. And this was one that I think at one point in the year, like it had brought up to possibly do on Fresh Cuts, and for whatever reason, it just got 
I don't want to make up, you know, there's probably other stuff to cover when it was uh, released. But yeah, Werewolves Within is my number 10. Um, I know them, you've seen it, right? <laughs> Why don't I just save us a little time and just announce that my number nine movie is Werewolves Within. i fucking love this movie this was my horror comedy of the year um i can answer the question mike of why we didn't review it because when it came out it was getting very very divisive reviews everybody either loved it or they hated it and i i don't always gravitate towards movies like that i like to watch movies that people are like definitively or at least that most people are like yes that's very much worth watching you should check it out or no avoid that like the plague this movie it seemed like half of the people that we associate with in podcasting loved it and the other half hated it and it just didn't draw me to it when i was hearing that kind of just divisiveness in the community but let me tell you when i finally sat down and watched this in october for my 31 days i absolutely loved this fucking movie and let me tell you the point where i it sold me when our main character yells at the top of his lungs, it's fucking okay to be nice. I was sold. I fucking fell in love with the movie that moment. I absolutely adore this main character that in this town full of shitty, rude, you know, uh, crass people that he's trying to be the nice guy and treat everybody good and just trying to be the overall hero. And I just love that because at every turn it didn't work out for him but not necessarily because of his bad decision-making, which we all know is a, a huge pet peeve of mine. So yeah, overall, I love this cast. I loved our our kind of outsider character that lived out in the woods by himself, our red herring, basically, our first red herring of the film. And then, yeah, like Mike said, when we finally get the reveal, it was incredibly effective for me. It really was. And uh, yeah, um, uh, the, uh, the female, the the female lead of this is Milana Vontraub, who is actually a stand-up comedian out here in L.A. I've seen her live, and she's fucking hysterical. She she's the AT and T girl to everybody else. Everybody knows her as the AT and T girl. But if you've ever seen her stand up or any of her like comedy game show appearances, like at midnight or you know things like that. Uh, she is an absolute riot. So when I when I realized that that was her, because I didn't even realize uh, before I watched the movie that she was in it. If I'd have known that, I might have watched it sooner. But yeah, I am 100% in agreement with you, Mike. I love this movie. This this is something I'll return to often. I will definitely be picking this up if a 4K gets released. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, Don, have you seen this one? If this was on uh, Fresh Cuts, not only would this have been higher, this would have been vaulted for number one or number two. Nice! <laughs> oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, uh, I'm rating this higher than you guys. <laughs> I'll oh, just, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to okay. fill my top ten list with too many horror comedies, and uh, but but I this one, for me, just couldn't be denied. I mean, I had an ear-to-ear grin on my face from beginning to end, uh, not to say that all the comedy worked. Sure, some of the jokes fell flat, whatever. That That's common. But the fact that the majority of them worked for me, 
the fact that even after we get the reveal of who the antagonist is, I'm still almost on their side, which is a terrible thing to say. But uh, when you see who, you know, when you get the reveal, you'll understand that statement more for those of you who've seen the movie. But if you have not seen the movie, yeah, I strongly recommend. I, it seems like all three of us are recommending uh, to check this one out because this is an underwatched gem that just it kind of went under the radar because I don't know. I guess some horror fans just are against horror comedy and that's fine. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. That's fine. But man, for me, this worked on every level. I just I adored it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't say anymore. I mean, like I said, uh, this is number one or number two of the year for me. If we if this had been been on the show. Nice. Sweet. Well, um, because of that, I guess we can go right to Don for his number nine. Yep. Uh, my yeah, my number nine is VHS ninety four. Um, although I should mention a lot of this is solely for segment three, which mm-hmm. I think um, all all of us are in such complete agreement on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, segment three is uh, just amazing. I'm, I'm still actually regretting the lost children I had ejaculating from that movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that that segment is just amazing. Um, that segment is the pure definition of guilty pleasure. Exactly. You know, like there's no art, there's no artistry to it. It is just savage brutality, and I fucking laughed the entire segment. <laughs> I yeah, it. yeah. It definitely feels like a segment placed on deliberately because it's like, okay, we we gave the best, you the best some example, different things, and here's a buildup. Yeah, the yep. best example I can give to it is Sushi Typhoon in an anthology format. Nice. Yeah. Um, even though I think we all had agreements, had disagreements with the third segment and the wraparound, I, I think the rest of this is enough to hold it up. Um, the first two segments outside of the third one are just as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're maybe a notch below, but they're just as worthwhile and just as watchable. I really enjoyed both of them. Like, I think we've all agreed upon the third one is just balls to the wall insanity in the best possible way. <laughs> Fourth one kind of lowers it. So it's not as high up on my list, but yeah, VHS 94. Uh, wow. Um, if, like I said, if this was the kind of quality that the, other segments in the series had, I got to return to those because I saw the first one and I just utterly hated it um, so much so that I never even saw two and three. So, um, I mean, <laughs> Venom, you said that two was two was really good. So I'm going to have to revisit, check that one out. Yeah, I would check out, too, because Timu also has a segment in that one, too. And it's also the best segment of that movie, too. So. Oh, OK, yeah. That's two a, for I think, two. I think I, I think I remember you saying that on the show. Yeah, I think the name of the segment is Safe Haven, and it is – up until VHS 94, that would have been my favorite segment in a, a horror anthology ever. But yeah, this one just completely blew it away. And actually, I rewatched this film this week, and I actually developed a, a really great appreciation for that first segment, the Ratman segment. I, yeah. I actually found myself having a really good time with it on rewatch, so – uh, yeah, uh, I'll reserve the rest of my opinions because I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about this one again. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so. yeah, like I said, uh, number nine is VHS 94. Okay, um, on to my number nine, and we're sticking with like I guess a smaller scale movie. This one's probably scaled down even more. 
been my number 10 pick, but uh, it really resonated with me. Um, it's, it's someone everyone from the genre should be familiar with. Uh, in, I guess you'd call it, yeah, the lead role. Um, man, how can I, it's one of those ones where it's like hard to even dance around what it is. So I'll just come out and say it. This was kind of a surprise how much I enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm happy that it ended up on my list. I, I wasn't sure, um, at the time. Well, I, obviously I wasn't necessarily thinking of list considerations at the time, but you know, as I was putting together my list and just going over everything, I went back to my enjoyment of it and I was just like, yeah, I, it's, it's gotta be on there. Um, uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm just going to come out and say it. my number nine pick is Jacob's wife with Barbara Crafton. Nice. Um, I just really liked the story. I liked the another kind of small town feel to it. I liked uh, the message behind it. I and I like the fact that in the end they worked issues out. You know, yep. well, I mean, I guess that's a bit of a spoiler, but I just feel like in these types of movies, a lot of times once things go south, it's kind of like a never-ending direction of like you know it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And while while there was an element to that through certain parts of the movie, as you know, the vampirism is kind of taking over the support from the husband at every step of the way anyway, and kind of uh, her realization that you know why things haven't been perfect, it's still worth. Uh, salvaging in the end I think it's kind of like a positive outlook in a genre where a lot of times you don't get that in these types of movies and uh, I, I thought it kind of had a hopeful message you know in a tongue in cheek kind of way I mean it does end kind of almost um, comedically but yeah. it, I, I thought it, was, I, it still kept things more positive than you would you would normally expect and uh i just had a really good time with it and i i, I hope it's it, it seems like the movie is starting to get watched by more people now because i'll see it on like social media or like in instagram mm-hmm. where it's getting reposted so it's fine if people are coming to this movie a little later that that's perfectly good with me just i hope people uh do watch it and uh, maybe putting it on my list will get it out there for more people but yeah jacob's wife is my number nine yeah i think once jacob's wife got put on shutter that's when it blew up because when it, it was just vod when it first came out i saw it in a theater out here but that's because i'm in la but uh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, i think it hit shutter like maybe two or three months after it played in theaters after we reviewed it and uh once it hit shutter that's when i started seeing it on social media i started seeing all the other horror podcasters um, you know, not the ones I work with, but the ones I follow, like on Twitter and whatnot, uh, talking about it more. And even Barbara herself, I do follow her on social media. She lives right down the street from me. She's in Burbank. I'm in Sherman Oaks. I, I am literally, what, three to five miles away from Barbara Crampton's house. And um, even she was talking about it when it hit Shutter. She was she was pushing it really hard, getting like her followers to check it out. And yeah. It seems like it definitely has legs, uh, you know, uh, it's getting legs now later in the year. But yeah, as I look at my list, um, Jacob's Wife, I have at number 16. Um, I, I really did enjoy it. I love the marital aspect of it. And one of the things that really 
um, worked for me in this one. And Mike and Don, you guys have worked with me long enough to know how much I fucking hate the skeptical uh, significant other in a horror film. You know, oh, you're just crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. The fact that Larry Fessenden's character, Jacob, believes her and helps her instantly like without even thinking about it well maybe he had a a few seconds to minutes to think about it but ultimately he sided with his wife even though he's a religious man he knows that she's now engaged in something that's very very evil um she indirectly kind of proved the existence of god because if vampires exist how could you not believe that there's a you know the the christian god blah 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 but Despite all of that, despite his history with the church, despite the troubles that he had in his marriage with her, he was supportive from the start. And I absolutely love that. So, yeah, Jacob's wife gets a gigantic kudos from me. And like I said, it still hit my top 20, you know, in a year where I watched about 120. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm very happy with the film. I'm glad it's doing well. I love Barbara. Um, we actually had champagne, what, like three years ago. Uh, she was doing an event for Beyond the Gates, and she recognized me and invited me over and uh, poured me a glass of champagne. So that was kind of cool. So, yeah, uh, totally agree with that pick. Absolutely a great pick for the top ten. Uh, just for my end, we'll be talking about that later tonight. Beautiful. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, yeah, I, I just to, to piggyback off something you were saying – uh, no, I didn't have champagne with Barbara Crampton, so extremely jealous on that front. But uh, <laughs> I, I have noticed she is she is really savvy with social media and like promoting yeah. stuff. Like I, I think you are correct. That, that I think that's what uh, what it was was once it hit Shutter. But she's yeah. she was really good about like you know posting like you know a lot of promotional stills and stuff mm-hmm. from the movie like daily just to like get it out there. And she's oh, yeah. I, I think she's very smart about it. Like you don't just want to post about it once and then be done with it. It's like she would constantly post pics of herself, like in the vampire makeup, uh, just to like keep it fresh in people's minds. Cause mm-hmm. not everyone, like you can advertise, Oh, this is hit shutter and people will scroll by it. And it doesn't mean like everyone's going to run out and see it based off that one post. But if you kind of keep it rolling for a while, uh, keeping it fresh in people's minds, you know, eventually they'll get around to it. So yeah, she, she's pretty savvy that way. But, uh, mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I guess we're off to our number eights. So, Venom, what do you got at eight? All right. At number eight, this is the first theatrical film on my list. Not Obviously, we're not going to see a whole lot of theatrical releases. I think we're only look as I look at my list, I'm only seeing three obvious ones. Um, and this is the first. This is um, a remake, of course, or sequel, depending on how you look at it. I, I actually kind of look at it as a sequel since it is kind of a continuation of the story that we started back in the early 90s. Um, This is, of course, Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Uh, This movie just worked for me in a lot of ways. Um, I do wish that the kills were a little bit more visceral. Um, Obviously, the original Candyman, you know, was a little bit bloodier than this one. I mean, you've got, like, decapitated Rottweilers and, you know, crazy shit like that. This one is a little bit more tame. Um, You know, they give us kind of a frantic third act, which, if I remember, was kind of a major complaint from all of us. That just too much happens in the third act to kind of advance the story into the, you know, the the inevitable finale that we all kind of expected coming once you're about an hour into the film. But 
Um, you know, aside from the subtext or the social commentary, um, I, I just recently watched this again, like literally two days ago. The performances all still work for me. The score, um, just and like I said, the way that they kind of change the lore a little bit. You know, Candyman is not just about Daniel Robitaille. They expanded the world of Candyman, and I loved it. They took a major chance doing that because that could have blown up in their face really, really easily. But they, but it did not. It actually, and, and now I'm looking forward to more Candyman movies. I would love to see more Candyman stories that don't have, you know, um, our a- Anthony from this film. Like, show me, I get another backstory of another Candyman. They talk about five or six different Candyman uh, that existed in the film. So, um, you know, just what they, where they went with the lore, really excites me for the future of the franchise. I definitely hope they don't abandon this. I don't. I know it didn't do the numbers that they were hoping, um, but obviously, you know, it came out in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, it came out in August, which was only what two or three months after we went back to the theater. So, um, I'm sure it suffered there. But ultimately, uh, you know, as I said when we reviewed it. All the social commentary works for me. All the talk of, you know, gentrification, it, it all was very timely, very poignant. Um, but I, at no point did I feel like they were jamming it in my face or just slapping me in the face with their subtext that, you know, not at all. Um, so, you know, for whatever it's worth, I really, really love this film. And uh, I guess you guys can chime in now because I can't imagine it's at anybody's top 10. I, I kind of feel like I took we're a chance. Oh, it is. Even yep. better. Okay. Fine. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought I was kind of going out on a limb with this one because I know it was kind of divisive when it came out. It mostly got positive reviews, but then the people that didn't like it really didn't like it. And um, a lot of podcasters that I actually respect highly came out negatively about this movie. So it's one of those things that I, I no, didn't think we're talking. See I'm talking about it. <laughs> awesome. So that's yeah. good. It's not the last time we're talking about it, but yeah, uh, like I said, Candyman, Nia DaCosta, and then we've got a new Jordan Peele movie coming out in 2022. We're excited about. So yeah, it's, it's a, it seems like, um, you know, uh, the black horror community is, is going in the right direction. You know, we're getting a lot of quality movies, high budget movies, um, obviously, Jordan Peele opened a lot of doors, at least in our genre. So, yeah, really excited to see where this all goes. And I echo that last statement 2,000%. So. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, Don, on to your number eight. All right. So um, my number eight is one that I, I, on the surface, it kind of seems like it's a pick that should be higher from me. But um, I ended up dropping it down a couple spaces. Mine was Blood Red Sky. Uh, Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I love the concept of it. I think it's uh, a really unique and inventive take on vampires. Um, Air Force One with a vampire on board um, is a concept that I (laughs) is a concept I really enjoy, um, seeing as how I love Air Force One. So um, that works for me. That keeps me engaged. Um, I love the action. I love the back-and-forth um, battles that take place. The gore is fantastic. Uh, so much fun with that. Um, ten minutes, maybe, too long. But um, I'm willing to overlook that um, for the ride that we got. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh like I said, based on the action and the gore for me, um, I probably would have had this hired. But yeah, uh, d- two hours and ten minutes. Did it really need that, or was it even longer? Than, was it even longer? I thought this one was like two twenty. 
Oh God, was it two twenty? I thought it was just over two. I could be wrong. I, I thought I, that's what I'm saying. I thought it was two ten. I thought it was two ten, but I thought I it may have been two twenty. I don't. I don't know. But I'm just saying it. It probably should have just clocked in at one fifty five ish or even lower. But two ten. Yeah, two hours yeah, ten minutes. Two ten. I thought it was. I, thought, I don't know why I thought two twenty for some reason. Maybe that's something else. <laughs> But uh, yeah, um, like I said, uh, 210 not necessary. But other than that, uh, so much fun. One of my one of my favorite vampire films of recent years. So yeah, this and uh, Jacob's Wife, which uh, like I said, we'll be talking about later on. Uh, <laughs> nice researches for vampires in the new year. Really enjoyed it. So yeah, yeah. actually, yeah, it was a really good year for vampires. I totally agree with you on Blood Red Sky. Another movie that I was kind of fiddling with potentially you know, uh, touching my top 10 was a uh, boys from County hell, another vampire movie based in Ireland this time that I really, I oh, also yeah, that really was... enjoyed. Um, just because yeah. they kind of, they kind of tried to imply that, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula wasn't the original Dracula, that it was actually that Bram Stoker was in Ireland when he was inspired to write the story, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, the oh, lore yeah. of that movie really worked for me. Um, but yeah, back to blood, red sky, Super, super fun. It's 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 like Wesley Snipes as Blade became Passenger 57. I, I just fucking loved it. Just uh, great action, great story, even good characters. Like uh, none of the characters, um, you know, really were terrible. I mean, obviously the villains are villainous, of course, but I'm saying like, yeah. you know, nobody was like unwatchable or anything like that. The bad guys were really bad. The good, uh, you know, our hero was really good. Just obviously wanting to protect her son and make sure that he can survive this whole situation. But yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you, Don. I, I love that movie. Uh, that was a really good one. I think um didn't quite make my top 20. I think it's somewhere around 21, 22, but yeah, totally agree. Fun as hell. Yeah, um, and like I said, uh, normally I think this one, based on my taste, should have been higher, but um, I, I think the running time just kind of held it back. Um, real quickly on Blood on uh, Boy County Hell, yeah, that one was up there for me too. It just it fell off, um, probably around like twenty to twenty five, but mm-hmm. yeah, that one was another good one too. I forgot about that one until you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, good year for vampires. Not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, I know you got something to say. Um, yeah, Blood Red Sky is a fun movie. Like, uh, I liked it a lot as well. And I I love those movies that kind of come out of nowhere. Didn't really know much about it going in, kind of watched it. Or, yeah, I mean, it got picked kind of on a whim, not knowing a whole lot going into it. And uh, it was just fun. And especially for for being like a kind of action horror, but like, in that I always like confinement stuff, you know, something taking place on a airplane too, when there's not mm-hmm. much room to go making good use of the space. I thought the villains were wacky and, you know, funny at times, um, but mm-hmm. vicious also. And it's the type of movie where like, you know, the, uh, everything's contained for a little while, but you fully expect just it to go balls out. And eventually it does. And, uh, yeah, yeah, really fun. Yeah, I remember pointing out uh, when we reviewed it that I, the thing that really impressed me about the movie was like the first act. Like before any of the vampire stuff happens, we actually get a good hijack movie. Like this is legitimately like up there with some of the better like 90s, you know, airplane hijack movies. Like that first act, I thought, like I said, the villains were compelling enough. 
Um, you know, their, their, their plan, the reason that they were trying to take the plane, like all of it worked for me. But then once all the vampire stuff starts up, it's like, ah, this is amazing. You know? So yeah, yeah I, I, I totally loved it too. Yep. Good pick. Yeah. Um, uh, that's all for me. I'm done. I'm done too. <laughs> all right. Well, this is just purely a circumstance because I'm just realizing now, um, my number eight pick, uh, no, it's not the same as Dom's, but it is continuing with the vampire theme. Now, this is one I'm not sure if either of you have seen because none of us, I think, have discussed it with each other. In fact, the only person I know for sure that's seen it is Bo, Bo Ramsdale, because uh, he, I think he posted like a, a top ten post on Facebook not not posting his personal top ten, but it was a question about it. I think maybe suggestions he was, you know, looking for last minute watches. And uh, I can't remember if I had just seen it and posted it, or someone else did. And I said that I really liked it, and he said he had too. But anyways, um, this is one that, uh, if anything, this movie kind of reminded me of. Uh, elements of the dark and the wicked from last year, but instead yes. of kind of like a supernatural force um, terrorizing them, uh, this has to do with vampirism. Obviously, I already mentioned that uh, it's a brother and sister kind of looking over a younger brother that something has afflicted him. It should, I mean, the signs are obviously there pretty quickly for anyone who's familiar with just horror in general that uh dude's a vampire and they are trying to kind of like baby him along without <laughs> him having to do what vampires do which is go out you know kill to feed um so they're kind of again uh, it also reminded me a little bit of elements of let the right one in in the fact that they're mm-hmm. serving as caretaker um so you know you combine those elements and uh, you get great this title movie. too. Now I will. <laughs> yep, and I, I will say it is a very slow paced kind of like. Um, how can I say? It's it's not really over the top in what's going on. I mean, there are a, I guess a few scenes of like blood and uh, viciousness that happen by the end of the movie, but it's not like an overly. Uh, it's not overly. Uh, crazy in its presentation, but I just love kind of like uh, the characters in this and, you know, the events that transpire. And that would be uh, My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Uh, Venom, by judging by your reaction, you have seen this? I, uh, yeah, I actually saw it recently after you had talked to Bo about it because uh, I saw the post where you were asking if it was even horror, if it was considered horror enough. Or maybe somebody asked that of you, I forget. But I just remember seeing that, and I'm like, well, shit, I'm going to watch it then. I'll decide for myself. Um, it is very solidly a horror film. I mean, whether okay. you believe, uh, you know, what's going on with the brother, and obviously there are very tangible things that happen in the movie that prove, you know, what he is. I have different issues with the movie. Um, like, they never explain to us why he's so frail. Like, that really bothered me that we've got a young, and this is a young kid, or at least he looks like a young kid, you know, whenever he was bitten or however he turned into a vampire, he was obviously like a teenager because he's basically still a teenager. And 
but he was so frail and I never understood that. Like I fully anticipated that when he would feed, he would suddenly like be up and walking around and like demanding to go outside, but it never really happened. It seemed like he was just as weak and frail after a feeding as he was before. So the lack of explanation there left me kind of scratching my head a little bit. Um, but ultimately, this is a great movie. Like, this is a great fucking movie. These performances are awesome. Now, Mike, you mentioned The Dark and the Wicked and kind of the brother-sister relationship and dealing with something, you know, um, out of the ordinary, you know, at their at their home. Do you remember earlier in the year when we reviewed Antlers um, and I said that I did not like the brother and sister in that, or at least that I didn't find the drama between those two as compelling as I did the brother and sister in Dark and the Wicked? Well, guess what? I love this brother and sister in this movie. From the first minute of this movie, I am totally invested in the story. I'm I'm totally like into what the brother and sister are trying to do, uh, why they're trying to do it, all of it. And their kind of drama between each other felt so organic. You know, where one of them just doesn't want to kill anymore. He's sick of killing. It's it's not right that I have to kill people to save my brother, blah, blah, blah. And and that kind of clash between the two personalities worked for me so much better than Antlers. Like, like to me, this movie makes Antlers look like shit. And Antlers isn't shit. It's a good movie. It's legitimately a good movie. I just remember not liking the brother and sister as much as Mike did. I, I, I remember Mike saying that he did buy into their drama. Whereas for me, it just felt like, I don't know, almost like filler. Like, I just didn't really care. But this brother and sister, I absolutely cared. And yeah, th this is very high on my list. It just missed my top 10. Um, it's at about 13. But yeah, this movie is fucking great. I love it. And that ending, holy shit, what a gut punch. To think that pretty much the, uh, the, the entire events of the whole movie could have been avoided if they'd have thought of that sooner. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it, it's still very compelling, very soul crushing. It's a gut punch, especially if you have siblings and you love them to death. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you, Mike. This is this is a spectacular pick for a top ten. Yeah. Something that, that makes the movie kind of strike a chord so much is the way they craft the story and the motivations of the siblings is to me at least it, it really makes a viewer kind of question like well what would they do in the situation when movies kind of take something like a vampire uh, or you know a, a classic monster like a vampire and they don't they don't necessarily humanize the vampire itself or the but they humanize the situation of like okay what if you put the vampire in a more real life setting where you know obviously the whole uh needing to feed on blood is a scary thing but everything else surrounding it it's like it's still their sibling so when the siblings themselves have the conflict of like well how do we go about this because one is kind of more dominant in the fact that like, well, it's our sibling. So whatever is required to keep them living, we're just going to do while the other sibling uh -huh. has a more nuanced look at it. Like, well, I understand, but do other people deserve to die in order for that to happen? And I think it's a good kind of balanced approach and it, it makes for some good, you know, family drama. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think it works really well. It's written well, and I would 
I, in these types of movies, you do expect like things to fall apart somewhat by the third act because he's oh, like, yeah. it's never going to end good in these situations. But where it goes is still, I, I was still fully on board and like, yeah, this yeah. is this is good, this is good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's really good to see you know somebody you know who's already killed multiple people through this movie actually show a sign of mercy at the end for someone who deserves mercy. So yeah. Yeah, this movie really spoke to me on many, many levels. I, it, I I really, really did love this movie. If there was maybe a little bit more visceral action and then maybe a little bit more explanation of the brother, not that it's not that it's vital that it's needed, but I would have liked to have known things like how did this happen? Why is he so frail and weak? Blah, blah, blah. Um Things like that. So, but ultimately, you know, it w- it would have only improved the movie, you know, ever so slightly. Maybe enough to make my top ten, but it's still an incredible movie. And yeah, if if you're a fan of, again, if you're a fan of kind of slower burn character studies, yeah, this is a great one to watch. This brother and sister's relationship just completely fall apart. Uh, I loved it. <laughs> cool, uh, Don. Have you seen this one? Uh, it's on my list. Uh, it's one of the first ones I want to get to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Be prepared for a slow one. <laughs> mm, all right. <laughs> it's not that long, at least, uh, right? I think it's like under ninety minutes. Yeah, it's it's I think in the eighty four or eighty five, something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. It's a quick one. Like, yeah, it gets pretty much to the point, like pretty quick. Like you you already pick up in progress. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, what's going on? Um, yeah, they don't. And I, I think it, yeah, it's really a genre film where they expect viewers to kind of be familiar with these kind of movies going in. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, so we are to our seven. So Venom, what do you got for number seven? All right, number seven for me is a movie that's already been discussed here. I believe Don was the one who talked about it, and I'm <laughs> I'm just gonna rave again, even though. We've already talked about all the segments. One of the things that I didn't that wasn't brought up the first time we talked about this movie was the fact that Stephen Kostansky, who is the director of The Void and Psycho Goreman, actually directed a commercial for a Veggie Master that aired in between segments in this movie. I think that's fucking great that an established horror director goes and does something that is not horror related at all. It's literally a commercial, like a, like one of those eighties, nineties infomercial type commercials for the veggie master. And yeah, I mean, it's up there with the cheddar goblin for me for as far as like odd commercials that are out of place in a movie. Yeah. This, the cheddar goblin stuff like that. I really dig. Um, so yeah, uh, again, uh, um, my number seven is going to be VHS 94. Um, again, we've already talked about the segments. Um, uh, Don kind of already mentioned it. I kind of skirted the issue, but I'll bring it up now. I definitely did not like the end of this movie. Uh, the wraparound that is, uh, to me, I love all four segments. I will admit some are stronger than others. Yeah, the final segment is probably the weakest of the four, but I still find I still found a lot of enjoyment out of that one. For me, it was more the guilty pleasure of watching a bunch of conservatives kind of get their comeuppance. Obviously, as a liberal, it was kind of a guilty pleasure watch. Um, 
but I still did like like the design on the vampire, uh, the way that the story started, that you don't really know what he is, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, that might have been a spoiler. I might have given away the final segment, but still very much worth watching. So, uh, yeah, number seven, solidly VHS 94. If it weren't for that wraparound, it would be higher on my list. But I, I can't forgive the wraparound. I don't hate the wraparound leading up to the ending. But once we get that ending and the reveal of who's like running this whole thing and, and even just their attitude, like the way that they read their dialogue, I, I was just not happy with that ending. So, I mean, that took away the most points that I took away from this film, but it's still a favorite enough to make my number seven. And it was higher on my list. But like I said, I rewatched it uh, last week, I believe, sometime. And the ending just hit me just way more sour than it did, you know, the first couple of times I watched it. So it brought it down a couple of notches, but still my favorite anthology of the year and um, easily my second favorite of the franchise. Sweet. Yeah. Um, I... Still think this one might get talked about more. In this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, hopefully that doesn't make it too spoilery, but yeah. <laughs> well, we still got six um, spots left, so I think we're, we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe somebody had it higher on their list than me. That's crazy. I love this franchise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dom, what do you got for number seven? All right, my number seven is one we've talked about earlier. Uh, this is the Candyman slot. Um, yeah, uh, I, I told you we'd be talking about it. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm in total agreement. I loved it. everything you said, um, or exactly the points I loved about it. Uh, for once, uh, as you mentioned, the social commentary is not only involving, it's uh, quite interesting. I love the way it carries on you know, incorporating current events into the storyline, you know, continuing the same storyline from, you know, film 20. It's at least it's between 25 and 30, right? Cause it hasn't hit the 30 year anniversary yet. Has it? No. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's around 30 years, give oh. or take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can, you know, incorporating those elements together, uh, it gives you enough slasher thrills to be fun. Um, again, I, you know, like Venom, I would have wanted a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more resolute, um, not as abrupt in the final act. But other than that, I have very little issues with this. Uh, so much fun. Uh, I'd probably, I would say, like easily, easily gets me involved and excited into new stuff that this going on in this franchise. I'd love to see more stuff from this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can't disagree anymore. I loved it. Say my name. Sweet. Well, um, I, this is going to make for a very quick number seven because uh, I also <laughs> have Candyman in the number seven nice. slot. Um, not a ton to add just because it's already been talked about twice, but I will say, yeah, I, I, I think if maybe the third act wouldn't have been so abrupt, it would have been fleshed out a little more. It would have been higher on my list because that's really – Mm-hmm. If I had to point to like one thing that held it back a little, that would pretty much be it. But otherwise, I was really happy with what we got. I felt, you know, for all, you know, for the modern trend of like, oh, we're going to retcon, uh, we're going to retcon the franchise and just make a direct sequel to the original. I think this is one of the better examples of how to do that, to actually go back and examine what the first or original 
movie and a franchise is all about and really try to build off that. And I felt like this one did a perfect job. It took a lot of the themes and elements from the nineties one. And, uh, I remember like it, one of the criticisms of the nineties one was it softly touched on a lot of things, but you know, then like backed off of them, mm-hmm. um, before it really got in depth where I felt like this one, kind of said okay we're just going to go there even more with it but it's still made for an intriguing horror movie and it felt like a proper update to uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the same issues but continuing them into like even more modern era of where we are now with some of that stuff and the similarities to the 90s and you know 2020s I guess or the early early 2020s so some of the similarities, but also some of the differences where things have evolved in some ways, but not so much in other ways. And I felt this job struck a good balance of doing that, but still attempting to give us a horror movie um, within those or within that structure. And I think it was for the most part successful doing that. Uh, and, you know, I liked a lot of the characters and so I liked where it went. Um, and yeah, I, with this effort, I, I definitely would like to see more. I, I think this one did enough to say Candyman is a viable uh, franchise to continue on if they choose. If you yeah. know, if they think they have yeah. uh, more stories to tell, I would love to see what they have in store. I, I'll tell you this: I'm more intrigued in this one than what would have happened if they continued Tony Todd as Candyman. I think with the, with the way we're doing here, I think there's more potential for a better franchise and more of a story to be built off of than what they did with that one. So, yeah. But and even though they still kind of retconned, um, you know, a couple of the sequels, I mean, they still showed great reverence to Tony Todd well, and Danny really, Robitaille. Is that really big a deal? Is it really that no. still retconning those two sequels? <laughs> no, honestly, not at all. <laughs> honestly. But the, the just the mere fact that they were able to pull it off, give us a compelling story, and leave us wanting more, which is a rarity in horror. You know, how often do we walk out of a horror movie thinking, man, I really want a sequel? You know, for me, it doesn't happen nearly as often as maybe it should. But, yeah, walking out of the theater from Candyman, I'm like, oh, I, I could go for one of these like every year or two with a different Candyman in it. I would, I would just absolutely love it. So obviously I'm, well, I'm sure the, the cost is not going to, you know, spend the rest of her career directing Candyman movies, but you know, to, to bring in, you know, more up and coming black talent or just minority talent in general to run these productions. Yeah. I, I, I would want to see more of that from Candyman. Let me get a, a, a Latina yeah. director. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Maybe yeah, Gigi Falcarone can um, actually do something other than um, her other shorts. Yeah. Something other than Mexican <laughs> movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if you mentioned this, Venom, when you were initially talked about Candyman on the list or if it was you Don or if it was neither and I'm just remembering things wrong but uh, the way they kind of expanded on the mythology and story in this one it really opens it up because basing the Candyman lore and character off trauma as opposed to a specific person's story it really gives credence to like okay future or in the future it could be different people portraying Candyman because there's plenty of historical, you know, trauma and messed up things that have happened to minority communities that would um, 
give an uprising to a uh, supernatural character like Candyman to take place. So now it's it's kind of laid the groundwork in a credible way to justify like if they you know had to cast Candyman differently in the future. Mm-hmm. By the way, did you know if you say Mister Venom five times in the mirror, I show up with a bong and a beer? It's true. <laughs> Try it. So that's how you're so cheap to get onto others' podcasts. <laughs> yeah, love it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move right along to our number six pick. So, Venom, what do you got? All right. My number six pick is from the director of my favorite horror movie of 2004. I'm not sure if that's much of a clue, but um, back in 2004, he made what many people consider the greatest horror comedy of all time in Shaun of the Dead. And... Uh, his new film this year, which is not nearly as horror as Shaun of the Dead or some of his other selections. Um, I know that there are many people that once again will argue if this is even horror, even though it is very solidly a ghost, a kind of a revenge ghost story. But uh, because it's so artistic, because there's so much style involved in it, um, you know, a lot of people maybe will write it off as maybe not the greatest horror film, that it's more style over substance. And let me I assure you, there is a lot of style here um, between the score, um, the cinematography, the lighting, some of the gorgeous lighting that's utilized in some of these clubs from 60s era London just really work for me. The dance sequences, even there's a goddamn da- I hate dance sequences in movies and there's a dance sequence in this one. That's absolutely compelling. So, I mean, it just says a lot about the film. So yeah, for me, this was a tough one. I struggled with this one because this was a lot higher on my list for a lot of the year, but because there's so much uh, more like visceral horror out there, stuff that the the hardcores would would all solidly agree are horror movies. It kind of made me look a little down on this one, even though, as I said, it's my number six. I absolutely loved it. I went to the theater to see it twice and it was better the second time. Go figure. So, yeah, that's my number six, folks. Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Cool. Big fan of it. I think we had a lot of similar stuff to say about it on the Fresh Cuts episode. And to me, yeah, you know, a show like The Twilight Zone, a lot of people include with horror. And to me, uh-huh. Last Night in Soho comes off like a full-length feature version of Twilight Zone, like a Twilight sure. Zone episode, I mean. Yeah. So I would include it. I don't have any issue including it on a horror list. Yeah, I think this one's going to be less a contentious pick than, say, Lamb uh, or another film that, you know, we'll be talking about later on. But, yeah, um, I still knew that, you know, so many horror fans just weren't on board for this film, um, you know, because of its excessive style and, and its very 60s pop soundtrack, which isn't something that we're used to in a horror, in a quote unquote horror film. So um, I figured, you know. Uh, putting it about halfway through my list is going to show the love that I had for it because it deserves to be in my top 10 just because it is one of my 10 favorite films of the year, regardless of genre. I love this movie. So yeah, um, I, I'll, I'll fight, I'll fight and die on this hill. Last night in Soho is a solid horror film. 
that may not work on the subsequent watches, especially when you know where the story's going, when you know the actual motivation for the spirits in the movie, things like that. It may not work on rewatches, but for me, it totally did. I watched it again two weeks ago, and um, it still hits really hard for me. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I'll fight. I'll, I'll die on that hill. <laughs> What'd you th- I, I mean, Mike, I know you liked it, too. Um it's just, uh, like I said, it's a matter of, is it horror enough for some people? I know for some people it won't be for me. That's where I landed, yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. It, it's good enough that I probably wouldn't have minded putting it on a overall year list, but for horror specifically, yeah, it, it just fell off just enough for me. But, yeah, um, like I said, good enough for an overall top ten of the year list. Um, I'll, I'll give it that much, yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed it as much, just didn't hit enough of the horror elements for me to put it on my list. That's valid. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of it. Surprisingly enough, it got edged off my list, and I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would probably be like my number 11, 12, somewhere in there. Like one of the ones where like it's it's sitting right there into the last minute. Um, but. Yeah, really, though, I had a blast with this one. It, it manages to be super fun, and I, I think uh, even the setup you know, got me fully invested to where once the horror stuff started, you had real uh, investment in the characters and what they were trying to get accomplished in the movie. And uh, I thought the uh, reveal was pretty cool, too, what, what we find out uh, in the third act. So... Yeah, hard to argue with uh, Last Night in Soho being there. Mm-hmm. Yay! Um, yeah, all right. Don, what about your number six? All right. Uh, my number six is um, one that would have... Uh, one that got pushed back from uh, theaters from last year to this year. Uh, much like the previous choice in Candyman, uh, mine is Quiet Place 2. Um, nice. Yeah, uh, I... I, I'm not entirely sure which one I like more. I, I think I rate them both pretty equally in terms of how much I enjoy both. Um, I, I really enjoy the action here. I think the creature the creature effects are a lot more impressive. Um, they're given a lot more to do, which I really enjoy. Um, a lot of the um, fun of the first and second act of exploring the world, I, I, I really got into it. The... Third act is kind of where it lost me just a touch, which is similar to the first one. So it's kind of where I like, like an equal standing with both where I enjoy them both for pretty much the same reasons. Um, I love the first and second acts. And then the third act kind of drags me down a little, but overall solid sequel, a lot of fun with it. Um, I think we discussed a lot more of the backstory on the, I, I remember we discussed more on the creatures themselves than what they actually did in the film. So yeah, yeah, that one um, that helped a lot with that, um, giving a lot more understanding to the beings themselves. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, overall a worthy sequel. Um, part three, I'm not entirely sure where they would go with this, but yeah, um, I wouldn't mind either way. Uh, I'm good with um, one and two if they, that's where they leave it, but. Um, Number six for me is Quiet Place 2. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. I, I, 
I can solidly say that I do like the first one a little bit more. I love the cold open of the first one when we see day one of the invasion. I think that entire scene is so incredibly well done, especially that scene with the, you know, that part where the bus is coming right towards Emily Blunt's car and they're in reverse. I think that scene is absolutely spectacular. Um, and I'm right there with Don. The, the, when it gets to the third act, um, for me specifically, it was when our main characters got to the pier and they had to deal with human antagonists as opposed to dealing with the death angels. And it, it, it's just one of those post-apocalyptic tropes that we see in every, you know, post-apocalyptic movie, be it a zombie movie, a virus movie, whatever the case may be. There's always human antagonists that are worse than the initial threat, you know, than the zombies or the death angels or whatever the case may be. So um, I was really hoping that they would avoid that in this franchise, but I will say, though, despite the fact that they did it, they did it in the best possible way. Um, the the human antagonist didn't go on any kind of monologue, you know, talking about their plans or why they're doing this. In fact, they, they didn't say one goddamn word in the whole movie, which I really, really liked. So, I mean, despite the inclusion of that scene, uh, I think they did it in the best possible way, which still makes me walk away loving the film. Though I will absolutely say it is like a half a step behind the original for me, uh, especially because they've been living in this world for almost a year and a half now because the movie starts at day 740 or, or uh, 474, which is yeah. what, like a, a year and four months, something like that. So it's like they've been yeah, living stuff, almost yeah. a year and a half in this world. Yet there were certain decisions that were made that really left me scratching my head. It's like, you, why are, what are you doing? You know, you're going to get caught, blah, 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 blah. I understand you got to advance the plot. You got to advance the story. You have to, you, there's got to be a threat, a perceived threat, you know, for the individual members of the family. So, you know, I, I don't have any major gripes with what they did, but I will solidly say, I think I like the first one, just like a half a step, um, better. Um, I will. I, I I got a feeling we'll be talking about this one also again, though. I will say that the first Quiet Place was my number two film of 2018. Um, and this one kind of is a couple of steps below that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's still a great movie. It's a great franchise. I almost don't want to see a sequel <laughs> when, a, when a franchise like this comes out where they do two or three really good ones. I don't want them to ruin it. It's like, okay, go make another movie now. Krasinski has to have other stories under his hat to tell. you know. And, and yeah, they may not make as much money as A Quiet Place 3 if they make that. But um, I, I, you know me. I love original stories. I love seeing new stuff. I don't mind seeing rehashed stories as long as they're done really, really well. And not to say that A Quiet Place 2 is a rehash of 1. I mean, obviously, it's the same antagonist, so you're still dealing with, you know, the noise factor and everything else. But they do, uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot more ground covered in this movie, whereas the whole first movie takes place on that one farm. This one actually goes uh, to different places. So that I appreciated as well. So, yeah, I, I still really like this movie. Really, really great sequel. Probably one of the better sequels of the year. Actually, as I look at my list... Either VHS or this one is my favorite sequel of the year. So, yeah, rock on. Yeah, I, I think out of the two, I, I like the first one slightly more, but I love the flashback stuff in the second yeah. one. Because um, that's kind of – they give you – I think they give you exactly what you are – you're curious about after seeing the first one. Like, oh, where did they come from? And I love the frantic nature of, like, you know, they're just going about life normally and – 
suddenly see something in the sky and the alarms or news broadcasts hit, but it's really too late by the time they're already there. And it's not like they, these monsters slowly kind of, um, make themselves known. It's like, no, once they hit, it's like (laughs) instant death taking place and no one knows how to properly react. They obviously, they know zero about them. Um, even in the, movie's present time there's not a whole lot known but there's obviously even less when they first arrive and they're they come off as pretty damn near indestructible or yeah indestructible Mm -hmm. and uh it was just crazy fun to watch that whole sequence of uh, the initial invasion Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah all right so my number six is a movie i don't think i've really talked to many people at all about um this was i can't even remember when i first heard about this but it was a later watch for me and i just really really liked it it's uh currently on netflix and because i don't know who's even seen it um i don't want to spoil too much about it necessarily but uh the overall kind of crux of the movie is have you guys seen the movie sleepers before Oh yeah, um, it's not it's not a horror movie, but I mean, it, there's horrific. It's horrific content. as fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, horrific content in it. Um, so I would say this movie is if you take a movie like Sleepers, kind of strip it down to like a ninety minute movie, um, but same general principle. Basically, uh, past abuse happened. I believe this one. It's not a. Uh, prison for kids i think it was just like a school maybe it was like a boarding school but it was like a school for boys and something happened and of course uh do that to the wrong person and one day they might come to get you and uh this one uh is pretty much that it's the high tension in this movie um (laughs) not the movie high tension but (laughs) lots of tension because the movie does a good job of for at least I would say, man, maybe through the entire first two acts, you don't really know the motivation. You just think that like there's these maniacs after these people and you don't know why, because the people they're after, you know, they do a good job of kind of concealing who they are really other than, Oh, they're just kind of normal folks going about their business. Um, but as more of the story unfolds, you see, oh, okay, I see what's going on here, and things kind of flip in a way. Not that necessarily what they're doing is justified. You know, there's always that gray area of like, okay, when does your moral superiority, or when does you know your vigilantism, I guess, cross the line, and you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. But there's enough motivation, or kind of justified motivation, where. It just makes for a thrilling ride. And this is called Coming Home in the Dark. Um, And like I said, it currently is on Netflix for anyone who hasn't seen it. I have no idea if either of you guys have seen it. Have you guys? I have not. Yeah, same here. Um, Okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I believe... Man, I want to say that... Um, I might have seen it, you know, uh, in the last week or so, a bunch of like either websites or just people have released lists. And I want to say I saw it on a few lists and sometimes I won't automatically watch something because it's on someone's list. But I think because it was on these lists, I asked somebody or like a 
group chat somewhere, I think maybe. And the people were like, yeah, it's pretty good. So I was like, all right, let me check it out. I, I, I just really loved it. Um, I feel like, the, you know, there's really no filler to this movie. It just starts right off and uh, it's just nonstop the pursuit and the chase. And once they have the people they're after, just the way it plays out. Really, really good. Highly recommended. So coming home in the dark is my number six. And not much else to say since you guys haven't seen it. So we can move right along from there. And I think this is where I'm going to cut the episode because Venom, you had a request after our number sixes, right? (laughs) (laughs) I need a break. Yeah. (laughs) It's intermission time before our top five and honorable mentions. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, so that will bring us to our number five. So let's uh, go right back to Venom with uh, your number five. All right, well, this is going to be quick and easy because it's literally the movie that we just talked about before the break. My number five is A Quiet Place Part Two. Same as Don. Well, Don's number six anyway. So, yeah, um, (laughs) all the same things that we already said. Great sequel, maybe just half a step down from the original, but still great performances. I like the progression of the world that they're in um, from the first movie. Um, you know, I, I love the addition of Killian Murphy as Emmett. I, I think he did a really good job in that movie. I, I thought the whereas the first movie was like solidly more about the mom, it felt like this movie was definitely more about the kids. And I like that um, since they are kind of the future of that world. You know, they're either going to save that world or watch it burn. So, yeah, uh, like I said, all the things that Don said and then some makes A Quiet Place Part Two my number five. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think we all kind of spoke about it already. It's not too much to add, but uh, yeah, solid pick. So we'll go right over to Don for his number five. All right. Uh, My number five is uh, kind of the controversial sequel that um, I I don't know where you guys um, stand on this one, but um, I remember this one uh, just as much fun as the other entries in the series. Um, Mine is uh, Conjuring 3. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I know this is kind of the controversial one where everybody's saying this isn't as good as the previous ones. Mm-hmm. I, I disagree. I think this one's just a notch below number uh, the first one, which is uh, one of my all-time favorite mm-hmm. mainstream horror films of the previous decade. Um, that one, to me, has always been my shining example of mainstream horror done right. And this is just a couple notches below that one. Uh, I like this one more than the second, which uh, everybody always, everyone seems to like a little bit more than me. But um, I, I had so much fun with this one. Um, a lot of the scares in here are really well done. Um, the atmosphere is a little bit lighter than what I think a lot of people are expecting mm-hmm. in the series, but I, I'm fine with it. 
I, I don't mind a lot of the real world controversy. Again, another issue that uh, a lot of people seem to harp on the film about. But um, overall, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, some of the setups are really, really well done. Love a lot of the action in the final half. Uh, fantastic mystery. Great reveal. Uh, solid film all around. I really enjoyed it, and uh, a worthy way to end the franchise. If I, I don't suppose they're doing another Conjuring Four anytime soon, so I mean the the case, the devil, the devil made me do it. Case is literally one of the last things that the Warrens ever did because I'm pretty yeah. sure Ed Warren died shortly after that. So if yeah. they do make uh, another one, I would imagine it's going to be a completely original story. Maybe not anything based on Ed or and maybe they. Warren. Maybe they uh-huh. jump back in time and do like a, a case from earlier in their career. Hopefully. I mean, yeah, I could see that too. I mean, Vera and Patrick Wilson are still young enough that they could play their younger selves. Um, still, they did a good job of playing their older selves on, on this one. If you guys remember from our review of this movie, I absolutely love this movie. Um, it, it bothers me that a lot of people are saying that it's not as good just because it doesn't have the crazy over-the-top characters that the first two movies have. You don't have Bathsheba or Valak the Nun or the Crooked Man in this movie. You've got more grounded-in-reality antagonists in this one, you know? Not as much of a supernatural element. Um, Still very supernatural, don't get me wrong, obviously. But not as much of one, especially if you follow the real-world case, which I did because... Um, it happened less than an hour from my house. I'm from Connecticut. So, uh, I remember that being in the news and the newspapers back in the day. Yeah. Remember newspapers? <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I, but like I said, the subtle nature of this movie is what really worked for me. The fact that they didn't go over the top and they, that they didn't try to just, um, make something even crazier than the conjuring Two, Cause that's where I thought they were going with it. But the fact that they kind of took a step back and did a more grounded in reality, you know, supernatural tale just worked for me in every way. And, and even the stuff that they, cause they added a lot to this story. If you remember from our fresh cuts review, most of the movie is made up because when they went to court, uh, the judge did not accept the plea of innocent by demonic possession. Uh, he threw it out of court instantly. So of course, but to make a movie, you have to add more interesting elements. So blah, blah, blah. We end up with the conjuring three, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in the minority that this might be one of my favorite of the three. I just, I love its subtle nature. I love Ed and Lorraine's performance in this one more than either of the first two movies. Like this movie is more solidly an, an Ed and Lorraine Warren film as opposed to the first two with all their wacky antagonists and everything else. So, yeah, I totally agree with you, Don. Uh, love this movie. Didn't quite make my top ten, but uh, absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, what are we on? Number fives. <laughs> I already forgot. Um. Okay, this is one that's already been talked about, so let me just add to the love for VHS-94. This Ooh. is probably, I don't really want to say probably, it is my second favorite of the franchise. I mean, VHS-2 is just so strong that it would have been pretty difficult to overtake that one. But uh, to say your second best of VHS-2 is not really an insult at all. So, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I not a ton to add just because we've already talked about it plenty, 
But um, yeah, we have some great segments here. If the wraparound was better, it would probably be even higher on the list because yeah, mm-hmm. yeah easily. Yeah, and this is one of the ones where like I didn't necessarily have a ton of expectations for going into it just because um after viral it kind of felt like okay, they've done what they could with the gimmick. Like it didn't necessarily mean that like oh, it could a good one could never be made again, but I just kind of didn't have too much hope. I was just hoping for like give me one or two decent segments and I'll be happy just to say, okay, they did something with it. But man, this surprised me. It was, I pretty much liked it. All the stories in it. Uh, I didn't find any of them too weak. I, in subsequent reviews that I've heard since um, our episode, um, a, a lot of people didn't like the, uh, I think it was the last one, the compound one, like the militia one. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people yeah, didn't yeah. like that one, and it wasn't like my favorite of the movie, but I still liked it. I, I still liked what was going on, and it. Uh, I loved I liked, it, it was, just watching those conservatives. <laughs> well, yeah, it felt kind of like satirical too. Like yes. it had a satirical yeah. nature to the militia they were portraying, as well as like the supernatural uh, creature in it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Without spoiling it too much, I, I suppose. But I, I, I think if you're listening to a top ten show, you would expect people to yeah, talk about the movies. But yeah, VHS ninety four, yeah. my number five. Um, so uh, kick it right back to Venom for his number four. Man, I can't believe you had that higher than me. <laughs> I had it. What's funny is that VHS ninety four was actually in my top three up until like a month ago, and then I yeah, just started I was actually catching kind of surprised up. it wasn't higher on your list. To be honest, <laughs> yo, it's true. I mean, the the way I raved about this movie, that how I talked about the fucking the hour and 40 minute erection that I had while watching this movie. Don obviously finished. I I just enjoyed the (laughs) erection while I could, but yeah, I mean the love for this and that again, that kind of says something about the top half of my list that a movie like VHS 94 that I absolutely raved about and adored the first time I watched it is actually my number seven. So and I am very surprised that you have it higher than me, just because I didn't think that you were as into the franchise as I am. Like, I, I'm a diehard. Like, I literally almost got a VHS tattoo uh, like 10 years ago. So, yeah, I, I avoided that disaster. But still, I, I am a huge I, – like I said, this is probably my favorite modern um, horror anthology franchise out there. I don't know how many of those there really are, but regardless, this is by far my favorite. And 94 was spectacular. So, yeah. Kudos to you for having it above where I have it. <laughs> All right, Venom. Let's hear uh, about your number four pick. Okay, number four is going to be the surprise of my list for me personally. Maybe not for anybody who hears this, but uh, because when I first saw this movie and we reviewed it on Fresh Cuts, I, I was very positive of it. I did enjoy a lot of it. But I felt like maybe the pace, the pacing of it, especially in the second act, might have actually hurt the movie. But then I watched it again this week. I just watched it two days ago and it hit me so much harder this time. Um, Just the religious aspects of it and, and just a lot of the lore that they were talking about. Jewish horror is kind of an under um, explored 
sect of our, you know, community of the horror community. Obviously we had big ones like the Gollum and stuff like that, the original and the multiple remakes that have come out. Um, plus many other examples that are kind of slipping my mind right now. But yeah, when this movie came out, I really, really liked it. But now after watching it a few times, I can say that I actually love this movie. I love every minute of it. And on second and third watches, it just it was still so effective for me. Probably one of the more effective films on my list on second and third watches, um, maybe like in my top three of most effective so my number four for 2021 is The Vigil. Um, just a really cool exploration of uh, Judaism, of uh, the concept of the vigil, of, of the Schoimer, um, kind of mo- sitting with the body all night until it can be sent to the funeral home, you know, um, helping its soul kind of cross over to, you know, um, whatever the afterlife is for the, for Jewish people. Um, but yeah, this movie was so effective and watching our main character Yaakov's kind of, I love the fact that they used a guy who just recently quit Judaism and that He's even though he's a full grown adult, he's basically a child because he has no social skills whatsoever. He can't get a job interview. He he jokes about how he hand wrote his resume for a job interview because he didn't know any better. He just didn't know that it was supposed to be typed out and printed, blah, blah, blah. So like all of that just worked for me so well. His first interactions with an actual female, probably, you know, something he's never experienced, just the way how awkward he was. It all worked for me. And then once he got to the actual house where the body was to perform the vigil just every minute of the movie from then on i'm just riveted i'm completely invested um i everywhere that the story went my, my biggest complaint with this movie is gonna be the actual um final battle if you will between yakov and the mazik it, it, it actually ends very abruptly and almost unceremoniously like the scene leading up to the confrontation is awesome watching yakov um walk through the hall as the walls of the hall are pulsating and breathing around him as he slowly approaches the mazik um, just all really effective, really well done. The score in the vigil is spectacular. I love this score. It's got that very low, uh, kind of low, um, very bassy, like percussive uh, score, almost like an Inception type score, you know, where the the sound effect just blares out of nowhere. They do that a couple of times in the vigil um, to very uh, effective degrees. So yeah. Uh, for me, this was an original story, even though it's still a demonic possession story, you know, someone being, uh, you know, targeted by a demon and basically tormented by them for the majority of their life. It's not necessarily anything original, but the fact that they put this around the concept of the vigil and a good man who just has something evil attached to him and trying to save his soul uh, just really, really worked for me. Um, it was incredibly effective. And then even watching uh, Yakov kind of break down and come to terms with what happened with his brother, I mean, it almost brought a tear to my eye. It, it legitimately was a very emotional scene for me when he's sitting there hugging what's supposed to be a dead body, um, but speaking to it like it's his younger brother who died years ago. So yeah, The Vigil for me, just an absolutely wonderful film. A movie that did, wasn't even in my top 10 when I started my rewatches, believe it or not. It, it was like number 15, but after watching it again, 
I couldn't get over how effective it was on what, like the third or fourth watch now. So yeah, that basically vaulted it way up my list. And as it sits right now, it is my number four of 2021. Loved it. Sweet. Yeah, man, I had almost forgotten about this movie, but now that you're bringing it up, yeah, it was a really good movie. And yeah. I like that uh, it dealt with different mythology than we're used to. I mean, you know, semi-related, obviously. Uh, sure. uh, Judaism, a, a foundational uh, thing for eventual Christianity. But still, there's unique, you know, customs and uh, elements to Judaism. So I thought, yeah, it was very cool to kind of see that play out on screen. Yeah. Yeah, just totally worked for me. Like I said, and and like I said, just on this the the rewatch, I I could not get over how legitimately tense I was watching a movie that I'd already seen twice earlier in the year, but like legitimately getting tense uh, during some of the darker scenes, and then the conversation, the extended conversation that he has with the dead man's wife, is one of those just beautiful scenes that people don't give enough credit to because it's just dialogue. It's just two people talking to each other, nothing supernatural happening, you know, nothing too crazy. It's just two people in a kitchen talking, but it's such an effective scene. And we get so much lore from that conversation too, which eventually leads to the basement scene when Yakov uh, watches the doctor's videos. So yeah, I love this movie. It worked for me in so many ways. I just, um, I can't say enough good things about it. So yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, move along to Dawn for his number four. Um, since you guys never asked me, um, I liked it. I didn't love the visual. Um, I, I thought it was all right. Just every, you know, nothing really that we'd seen before, but sure. good enough. But um, it wasn't like I was particularly in love with it just because you guys never asked, but <laughs> I, can't, uh, I think I, I remember you not being uh, the biggest fan of it, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I found it pretty predictable and just, you know, uh, good enough for what it was, but nothing much more than average. But um, anyways, um, yeah, moving on to uh, my number four, I went with Fear Street 1994. Nice. Yeah. That's the third um, one, right? Yeah. No, is that the first one? First, first one, one, my bad. Yeah, first one. Cool. Uh, yeah, uh, 1994. Um, even though I'm not a huge fan of the late 90s teen horror that this uh, kind of emulates, uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, mm-hmm. Lays the groundwork incredibly well. The characters are fun. Um, the stalking scenes are fantastic. I I, I think these are some of my favorite uh, scenes of the year, um, especially I think the one in the... Uh, the one in the school where they're trying to lead the uh, ghosts into the uh, janitor's closet or wherever they they lay the, mm-hmm. they lay the trap and then they're trying to run throughout the school trying to get the ghosts inside. I had so much fun with that. Um, um, I, I will say that um, I will be talking about one of the other sequels shortly, but um, my number four was uh, the original '94. Uh, so much fun. Um, I, I really love what they did with this, and I would really, really love to see this uh, franchise expanded. Even if it's not necessarily connected to this story, I'd love to see if they did something similar to this every year. So, Yeah, I mean, there's there's enough Fear Street material for them to use. I mean, that was a book series, right? So they've got uh, source material. 
It's just a matter of if they want to do it. Because, I mean, I can't imagine with this thing being a three-week event with three different movies, um, I'm just not 100% sure how many new subscribers uh, this brought to Netflix. And that's generally how they kind of judge the success of these movies. I'm with you. I'd like to see more of these. I think this one... Um, all three of them are very effective. I think 78 might be my favorite, though um, it still didn't come anywhere near my top 10 um, for the various issues that we talked about when we reviewed it on Fresh Cuts. But all three of them I thought were enjoyable. Uh, definitely a fun series to watch. And, you know, some actual really good performances from some of the younger, especially the two main girls, uh, the girls that were like, you know, an item. I thought their performance was really, really well done for, you know, for a couple of teenagers. So, yeah, uh, I'm right there with you, Don. Good movies. Good picks. Mm-hmm. All right. My number four. Um, so this is actually a movie that in its home country it had a 2019 release, but it was not. Uh, released here or given a proper U.S. release till 2021. So by the rules we've used in the past, uh, we get to count it. So um, with that said, this movie, the English title is Soul. The Malaysian title, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce. Ro. Yeah, R-O-E, come on, so give it a shot. Ro. Ro. Ro, I would yeah, say. Ro, 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 your soul, I guess. Okay. Um... <laughs> I'll tell you what, just the poster alone of the girl kind of standing in the woods with the little campfire in the background. That's one of those posters that kind of hooks me in knowing nothing else about it. Um, and I, I, I don't, I think you're the one I asked specifically because yeah. I know you know, Asian horror is such a big part of what you cover. It's what, you know, a big part of uh, what you like. You carved out that niche in your coverage. And I want to say, I, I think it was like a Discord channel, maybe, that someone posted the poster. And when I saw it, I was like, you know, I know there's a couple movies I've seen this year, but I haven't seen this one. And I don't see it, like, just regularly available anymore. And I was like, if there's anyone I know that would have seen it, um, mm-hmm. it was Dawn. So I hit you up, and you're like, yeah. And then I, and then from there, I just had to figure out, like, okay, yeah, because I, what's I going on with the release? I could have sworn mm-hmm. that I, I would have bet vital parts of my anatomy that that was on Netflix, because we ended up on um, the site I write for. We ended up doing a press release about it being sold to Netflix because it was right around the time that it was being announced as Malaysia's entry into the Academy Awards. So that was kind of like, it was sort of like a double pronged thing that we ended up and we did a press release about it. I remember vividly stating that it was coming to Netflix. I, I don't know why it wasn't on there. Yeah. I mean, do you remember when that was? Because all I can think of is if like maybe Netflix had it earlier in the year and then they just had like a short term, lease for it or something maybe it's it left because i i maybe. thought i read that the u.s release was june so that's still you know, yeah because that's right around ago. yeah like late may maybe like the first week of june i i it, that, i think that's maybe when we we published it because it was I, cause like i said it was right around the time that it was announced as malaysia's entry into the academy Awards. so i don't know 
I, it didn't make it, so it's not it's not it's not going to be at the ceremony. It's not going to be up for the award, but yeah, for um, best international or best foreign film, I don't know what they use the, what the official title is, but yeah, this was considered Asia, uh, Malaysia's entry for the Academy Awards. So I, I wow. don't know when those would have been announced, but it, it was a tool prong thing because as soon as they announced that the studio that the studio that made it announced that it was being sold to Netflix. So it was kind of like, it was like a two two prong approach, and we ended up doing like a press release for it. So yeah, that would have been late May, first week of June. So I I, I don't know why it's not on Netflix, mm-hmm. unless maybe it's like a unless like it's Netflix like a regional, International. <laughs> or that's, that's yeah, like a regional thing where maybe it's like Netflix in its own country. I don't I didn't even think of that. I, I didn't yeah, think of that until just be. now. It could have just been like you know announcing it as like a regional, as like in, like you said, like a regional thing where it's only on you know the Indonesian or you know Southeast Asian version of Netflix or something. I didn't even think of that until you just said it, but that could be the case. I'd have to look. Mm-hmm. Could be, yeah. Um, but, anyways, yeah, enough so, of that. But yeah, uh, enough of that stuff uh, under the actual movie. <laughs> yeah, this story it's it's great. Basically, I mean, uh, without giving away too much, you know, early on in the movie, uh this strange girl child basically shows up to a village. Uh a mom uh with her kids takes her in, kind of feeds her uh kind of tries to get her up to like just normal health, I guess. And then strange things start to happen. Um, and the movie spends its time, you know, uncovering the mystery of what's going on, why all the crazy stuff started happening when she showed up. And man, this movie has a little bit of everything. Like I was shocked. And the the cool thing, it, it's another one of those sub 90 minute movies. It's, it's a right around 83 minutes. And that's something you don't, well, I don't want to say you don't get a lot, but a lot of releases recently, you know, they've been like these huge epic two hour or even over two hour movies. And so when I saw that the running time on this was so short, I was like, well, I have to fit this one in somehow. Like I, I can fit a 90 minute movie in. So I, I made sure to make a point to do it. And I am glad that I made the time for it because I was pretty blown away by this. Uh, I love the story. I love where I went. And man, this is a bleak one. So for people that like bleak Ooh. movies with uh, bleak outcomes that uh, don't let up and just kind of punch you at the end, yeah. this is one of those. So I highly recommend it to uh, everybody out there. And uh, I will offer this following thing, and this is something that only I can provide because I know the producer of the film directly because I, as I've reviewed the company's previous film. Uh, this is the second film of a Malaysian film company. I reviewed their first film as soon as we re- published that one. I ended up becoming friends with the producer of this film here who runs the studio. It was made for around $200,000 U.S. Ooh, wow. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, not, I'm not entirely sure of the conversion rate, but they said it was around 200000 U.S., this is like this is like an indie budget level film. Yeah, that makes sense because like watching it, it doesn't look bad, but you could tell it's it's not nearly as polished as like some of the other ones that I've seen this year, like Queen of Black Magic or like the the medium stuff like right. that. Um, 
those definitely have like the you know bigger not they they probably don't have huge they budgets look more, themselves but they look more budgets. they look more expensive they have a they have a much higher sheen to them yeah exactly like even if it just comes down to like the cameras being used it looks like more money is behind those projects but uh yeah um well you know I guess thanks for having seen it, Don, because <laughs> it was one of those ones where, like, I was running out of time. I was, you know, you get to that, like, last couple of weeks, and it's like, I don't, I don't really want to spend my time on things that wouldn't, that yeah, I wouldn't the last consider week, all my you top want, ten, so. The, the last week, you don't want to do those blind guesses. You want somebody to say, hey, this is worth your time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Don, you hit it out of the park with this recommendation, and I, in turn, will tell, I'll recommend it to everyone who will listen. Yeah. Uh, watch You're this welcome, movie. Man. See, I know what I'm saying. Um, R O H. Uh, H. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I know what oh, I'm talking about H. every now and then. <laughs> every now and then. Yeah. Every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, we are up to our top three. How about that? So with that, let's kick it back to Venom. What do you got? All right. Um, I was flip-flopping with this film and The Vigil for my number three and four spot. I think I like them both equally, um, though I will say that my number three pick is a little bit more visceral, um, you know, a little bit more... Um, how can I put it? Less supernatural and more, uh, well, gory, I guess is just the best way to put it. Um, so yeah, I ended up putting the vigil at my number four, but with the exact same score that I have for the vigil, I have as my number three pick of 2021, the stylist. Uh, I just loved almost everything about this movie. I loved all the characters, uh, you know, the way that the story kind of progressed. I loved where the story ended up, even though, as I said on the Fresh Cuts review, that, you know, the the ending was just a little too predictable for me, you know, especially if you're kind of a veteran in the genre, you kind of see where that final scene is going with Brie Grant and our main star, Claire, or, well, the main character, Claire, and then Brie Grant's character, Olivia, you know, just before Olivia's wedding, you kind of see where it's going. But even when the final reveal occurs, and even though you predicted it, it's still very effective, very haunting. I mean, you got to think about what the people in the church are going through when they see that. It's definitely not something that's going to, you know, put a smile on your face. But goddamn, it is a very cool um, and maybe not quite a bleak ending, but a very just a downer one, if you will, especially because, you know, we kind of grow to love certain characters in the movie. So, yeah, like I said, other than the predictability of the of the finale, this movie is near flawless to me. I loved it when we first uh, reviewed it and I loved it on my subsequent rewatches throughout the year. And yeah, it is solidly my number three film of the year. Yeah. Um, great movie. It's mm-hmm. hard to add to what's already been said, but, uh, really enjoyed this one myself as well. I, I loved, yeah. uh, how it unfolded, loved the story, and the reveal was great. Even if you kind of had a feeling it was coming, still, it it still hits when you see it. 
Yeah, and this is one of my favorite performances of the year, too. Uh, Nahara Townsend's performance as Claire was so just so effective. You know, she she comes off as very likable even after you see her do some absolutely atrocious things. You know, you understand, obviously, there's a mental health issue here going on, but um, just her performance. I mean, you know, it's not quite Tony Collette in Hereditary, but it was still probably one of my favorite performances of the year. So, yeah, great job there. I look forward to what this director and star do next. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, speaking of looking forward to what's next, Dawn, what is your number three? All right. My number three is Fear Street 1978. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the end, uh, this... Uh, I, I can I consider one and two um, just so close that it was um, virtually impossible to figure out where I stood on them. Um, I, I think I settled on two over one uh, simply because I think two did a better job of making you enticing. Look forward to where the story was going to go. And I remember we, us bringing that up on the show where two made us more intrigued at three than one made us going into two. And I think yep. that was, I think that was one of the things because thematically as a trilogy, I think that's something that you need to do where even though, you know, like we were saying earlier with, um, with Halloween, where at the end of that one, we knew where at the end of two, we knew that this was just a complete waste because it's setting up for three and it was completely unnecessary this is a logical this is a logical step to where you needed you needed to to get to 3 whereas even though we haven't had halloween 3 yet we all knew that halloween 2 was completely unnecessary and i think that <laughs> we all i think that was the reason i think that that as soon as i made up that point in my head i think that put 2 over 1 for me um, in terms of it being a slasher film, this is fantastic. I had so much fun with it. Again, a lot of great characters to root for, a lot of fun relationships that get explored in here. Fantastic stalking scenes, a great killer, a lot of slasher homages. Maybe a wrong decade, maybe 78 is the wrong year. Maybe if this mm-hmm. said, maybe if this <laughs> said uh, Fear Street 1982 or Fear Street 1981, it would have made a little bit more sense, but I'm not terribly mad at that. Mm-hmm. Overall, yeah, um, this was a this was a great one. Um, I, I had so much fun with it, and like I said, uh, I would have loved to see where the story, the franchise continues if they adopt more of this mm-hmm. or if they just do something new. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this was this was probably my favorite of the trilogy as well, um, only because it was the one that felt like the most traditional slasher to me. Obviously, the first one is kind of going with more the you know the the youth oriented slashers of the '90s and kind of the tropes that they explored. Um, but yeah, 78 was probably the most fun as far as like uh, the slasher. Yeah, the story may not have advanced too much. We got a little bit of backstory on you know the family that was running the town, but. Um, I feel like the last one really gives us the bulk of the lore surrounding what Shady Side and Sunny Vale, I think it was, or something like that. Sunny Side and Shady Town, whatever the hell it was. Um, so, yeah, uh, like I said during our review of it uh, the first time on Fresh Cuts, 
I have a little bit of an issue with it because I was around in 1978. Unlike uh, my co-hosts, I was I was around in 78. I was eight years old and I went to summer camp that summer. I went to summer camp for like six summers in a row between like, I'd say, 77 and 82. Probably in that range. I went to summer camp every year. And yeah, uh, this movie feels like summer camp fell in 82, not in 78. Like I said, the music was different. The styles were different. Even the way that the, the way that kids would talk to each other was a little bit different. Now, I understand that the director of this movie is probably younger, probably wasn't around in the 70s. And that's fine. Because ultimately, if you weren't around in the 70s, uh, the movie is good. It's still a great movie, and most people are going to have less issues with it than me. Um, but despite all of that, like I said, it's still my favorite of the franchise, of the trilogy, I should say. Um, I probably had the most fun with it, even though some of the more memorable kills came from the first and third chapters. But I still, just re just for the aesthetics alone, I liked uh, Fear Street 78. So, yeah, good pick. Mm -hmm. Michael? <laughs> All right, so number three pick. This is one I've kind of been champion or championing the whole year since I saw it. Um, I never thought by any means a, a horror comedy would end up this high on my list. Horror <laughs> comedies usually don't even show up on my list very often, so the fact that there's two of them this year uh says something but uh i feel like either many people haven't seen this or people just haven't talked about it i saw it early in the year i i threw it on like late at night on a whim just because i was looking for something you know you know when you're like tired and it's like i just want something to fall asleep to um and it was uh still new enough at the time that it was in the featured section on shutter now, the thing is, the few people that I've talked to that have seen it agree that it's really good and uh, were really happy with it. And I made it a point to rewatch it before assembling my list because I was like, OK, am I biased because it's something that a lot of people haven't seen and I really liked it and I just want it. I'm trying to, like, will it into being better <laughs> than it actually is. So I was like, I better rewatch it just in case. But to the contrary, uh, rewatching it not only uh, had me double down on how much I liked it, but it, it actually even went up from there. Um, I, I think the premise is somewhat of an original idea, which is rare. And when you can do original and good, <laughs> I mean, that's mm -hmm. almost a rare combination these days. Um, the comedy in it for me works, but we also get lots of gore. Uh, and uh, I'll just get right to it then. This is uh, vicious fun. And, it was vicious fun, and uh, I highly uh, request people watch this one, kind of like with my number four. Um, this is another one that I, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people haven't seen it or it just hasn't been talked about because of how, I guess, earlier, how much earlier in the year uh, it released. Maybe that window of like where everyone jumps on the new thing on a streaming service, once that window passed, it just kind of got lost in the, in the shuffle. But... Um, basically, the premise of this is kind of like your average schmo sh uh, accidentally, after a night drinking, he accidentally shows up to a support group for serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> he stumbles into a meeting, like with a therapist, and uh, 
it's a bunch of serial killers kind of like trying to talk out their past to get over it and stop doing it. And uh, you can imagine things get crazy from there once he's discovered that he is not a serial killer among them. He's just a normal guy. Um, uh, while there's not huge name actors in this, there are some familiar faces. Uh, David Keckner, I think, is how to pronounce his name. Yep. Um, yeah, he was in it. Uh, the father from Anything for Jackson is in it. Uh, <laughs> I I, I believe one of the guys was the pro wrestler Kurgan way back in the WWE days in the oddities mm. group. He's like the tall, like Eastern European looking guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, yeah he's in it. And I want to say there was one more person that I might just be slipping my mind that should be familiar to horror circles, but uh, it's just lost on me at the moment. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like this movie from start to finish, like, uh, I already kind of like brought up the horror comedy dynamic when I was talking about uh, werewolves with uh, werewolves within, but whenever you do kind of like the hybrid horror comedy, it, it's very tough to pull off both elements equally well. And anytime you can do that, it, it's, it's usually a win, but this movie, I feel like does them both extremely well. I, I wasn't really expecting the quality of gore. We got once it was set up, you know, so comedic to begin with, just the scenario. Um, but once we get it, I was like, wow, this this movie's really going for it. And um it it stuck with me. The story hooked me in and I saw it through the end and I was very happy with it. And they almost kind of set it up like it could continue if if <laughs> if there was ever re- like if they really wanted to it it wouldn't be necessary in fact the fact that this ended up being so good to me they should probably just not even ever think about doing a sequel just leave it where it's at while you're ahead but um yeah vicious fun i highly recommend i i'm gonna assume that it hasn't been widely seen yet so for people listening to this it's still streaming on shutter Go check out Vicious Fun. Have either of you guys seen it? Oh, yeah. yeah I saw it right around the same time you did. Um, that's the only time I've seen it, so I don't remember a whole hell of a lot. But I absolutely remember um, really, really enjoying it, thinking that it was legitimately funny. Yeah, no, that's a great movie. I remember you you really did champion that movie because you're you were really one of the only people I heard talking about it at first. So... Yeah, hopefully people listen to you because sometimes you get it right. Yeah, I, I thought this was one that we were. <laughs> I thought this was one we were going to cover, so I I ended up did watching it, and I don't know why we didn't choose it, but yeah, I I thought this was one we were going to cover, and I watched it, and I'm not as high on it as you guys. I think it's uh maybe mm-hmm. ten minutes too long, but um other than that, I I really enjoy it. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, it's a lot better than what you think. Um. Some of it didn't. Some of the jokes didn't land for me. So there was like a long period where I was kind of like bored out, bored with it. It's kind of why it's like ten minutes too long for me. But other than that, I I have a lot of fun. I had a lot more fun with it than I thought I would. Yeah, it it kind of reminded me a little bit of the uh, Creep Show Christmas special from a couple of years ago. You remember that one, where it was the support group for all the were creatures, the were turtle, the oh, yeah, werewolf. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, Vicious Fun is way better than that episode, but for what it is, it definitely kind of had the same kind of, you know, support group vibe, and then everything kind of goes to shit at the end. So, yeah, um, I, I did enjoy it, yeah. Um, not, I mean, it would be really, really weird for me to put two horror comedies in my top ten, and I, and I do like horror comedies, don't get me wrong. But I under I also understand that they're very divisive in the genre. Some horror fans just don't even watch them, don't care about them. That, that's your choice, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's like there was just so much more horror this year that made me feel actual emotions opposed to just fun, you know. And fun is great. I mean, that 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 should be first and foremost. If you're gonna watch a movie, it might as well be fun. But at the same time, there were so many just uh, of the more artistic style of horror that came out this year that, as we all know, I absolutely love. And it just kind of pushed Vicious Fun a little bit out. I don't know that Vicious Fun was ever in my top 10, though I did uh, did highly regard it when I first saw it. Absolutely. It deserves a rewatch, so I'll, I'll be revisiting it soon. Cool. All right. Well... Uh, getting down to it now so we're getting to our number two so venom tell us what you have at two all right well at number two it's the same situation as mike's number four where it's a movie that came out in 2019 in its native country but then it got a release in the u.s uh i believe Shutter, I believe, was the one that uh, first put it out sometime very early. I mean, I think this came out actually in January of this year. It was one of the first. I remember it being one of the first movies I watched this year. And it has remained in my top three all year. This movie has worked for me so well. And the final, the final like 10 minutes of the film where it just turns into an absolute house of horrors where different people are being tortured in different ways in different rooms inside of this uh, former orphanage that it just, I, that, that final sequence of, of this movie just, I absolutely adore. I love the final confrontation. Um, and honestly, I love the characters. I, I don't think that uh, once again, this is another movie with no real hateable characters. Yes, there's villains that you're not supposed to get behind, but I mean, as far as the performances go and the, and as far as like people acting like caricatures just does not exist in this film. This is uh, out of Indonesia. It is um, unfortunately my only Far East film uh, on my top 10 this year, but I've loved it since I saw it at the beginning of the year. Rewatching it this week just reinforced my love of it. And it actually, at the beginning of this week, it was actually, or the beginning of last week, it was my number uh what two uh excuse me my number three film of the year but after re-watching this and the stylist i decided i really like this one a little bit more and it's got a lot to do with that finale so my number two of 2021 is the queen of black magic i fucking love this movie i love the story I love I love the fact that the antagonist is still very sympathetic because of what she had to go through in years past. Um, I love the I, I, I even love her justification for why she's punishing people that are innocent. And that one line that she has about how when when one of the characters in the movie asks her asks the antagonist, why are you doing this? Her line is that she's not a hundred percent sure that hell exists. So she's creating hell on earth for these people who deserve it. 
And I think that justification is just spectacular. Um, so yeah, I, I think Mernie, Mernie was the name of the witch in this movie. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I absolutely loved her character, her motivation. I loved her powers. I mean, the fact that they decapitated her and she just laughs it off. I mean, this is, this is a villain for the ages in my opinion. So yeah, solidly my number two and only number two by like literally one point out of a hundred, um, is the queen of black magic. And I'm not, once again, I'm not even going to try to attempt the Indonesian name because I didn't even know these letters went together. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll be talking choice. about that later tonight. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to tip us off. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> queen of black Magic's great. In fact, when I had soul at, uh, on my list, I was like, that probably might have taken the Queen of Black Magic spot for me, because <laughs> it it might have been Queen of Black Magic there, yeah, um, if not for seeing Soul. Um, but yeah, excellent, excellent movie. Definitely. Um, all right, Don, what do you got for number two? My number two is Jacob's Wife. Um, nice. Yeah, uh, oh, this was so much fun. Um, uh, you know, like Venom was saying earlier, just a relationship dynamic at the heart of the film that is for once realistic and not a series of cliches. Like mm-hmm. how how unimpressive would this have been if it would have just been, you know, him just trying to degrade her once again, just saying, "Oh, that's nothing. You're not. You're you're fine. You know, stop worrying about it." Or you know, just not even coming to a conclusion that, Oh my God, she really is a vampire. Like, like you said, he's on board from the very beginning and he goes through with it with her. And then at the end, they have their own realization together and they actually come out of it far better for what they were at the beginning, at the end than they were at the beginning. And it's a unique tale. It's a fun tale. It's just over the top fun in just the right amount of ways. Uh, schlocky with, without being goofy gory without being you know gross about it i had so much fun with this uh this was just an absolute blast and yeah um i i I can't disagree with the love this thing has um i i I enjoyed this thing so much (laughs) yeah not much to add just because obviously i already talked about it but um great pick it resonated and it's it's a great example, you know, you can make a great movie based on a small scale story. Um, you you don't need uh, tons of money if if you have a solid story behind good writing, good characters, and man, they got a good cast for it as well, and mm-hmm. it it hooked it, it hooked me in for sure. So great pick there. All right. Yeah, always great to see Larry Fessenden. Uh, just he's one of those guys that always brings a certain uh, level of enjoyment to all his movies. You know, whether he's being comedic or whether he's being serious, it, he's he's just one of those um, cherished horror actors. Uh, I absolutely love him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so my number two. Um, is a movie, you know, when we did a Fresh Cuts episode on this one, I want to say we all liked it, but I I think at the time I liked it 
the most out of three. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what you guys thought about it, but I think overall it was pretty positive. Um, I had made comparisons to other horror movies in the past uh, dealing with grief. Um, I, I think the the big strength of this movie is on the main actress and her character and the performance she gives. It might be the performance of the year from a single actor slash actress in any uh, one movie. Um, I think that really drives this one. Um, and I like, you know, where it goes, what gets revealed. And I like kind of, I wouldn't call it an open ended ending, but I would say that it gives off the vibe that, nothing is quite final with the resolution um, that we get. It's kind of going to be an ongoing issue that has to be managed instead of solved. Um, If that hasn't given it away yet, I'll just say number (laughs) two on my list is the night house. Um, And the night house has Rebecca Hall mainly to think about that because her performance was just amazing. I thought it was such a great, an accurate portrayal of someone going through grief and some very recent grief too. Um, and Hey, you know, for those wondering, this one is missing an annoying kid. You don't have to worry about. Cause I know that <laughs> when I compared it to Babadook, a lot of people thought, Oh no, is there another annoying kid character? in it? No, oh, there's God. not. Uh, <laughs> Rebecca Hall is just a powerhouse in this movie. She's so great. I, I mean, just that first scene when the student comes in asking for a better grade and you can tell uh, her character, Rebecca Hall's character is just really doesn't give a shit. Like, okay, you want the grade? Well, okay. And goes into like, kind of like the monologue about it. And then later on when uh, her friends are trying to take her to like, a, Oh, cheer up type dinner. And her reaction, it just comes off as so accurate where she just, you could tell she doesn't want to be there and she knows exactly what's going on. She doesn't want anything to do with it. She's definitely not ready um, for that. And yeah, just overall, I, I really like this movie. Uh, I like the sound design behind it too. Something I really noticed on a rewatch, but uh, yeah, uh, I'll leave it at that. I mean, we talked about it plenty on the episode of Fresh Cut, so I won't say too much more, but the night house is my number two. Well, your memory does not serve you well in this instance, my friend, because I was not nearly as positive on The Night House as you were. I remember you raving about it, and I will admit that on a technical level, it is a great movie. It's a, it's a beautifully made movie, really nice cinematography, beautiful locale, you know, the lakeside location looks really nice. Um, I just was not how can I put it? It felt too much like a final destination movie to me. Like once we actually get the reveal of what's happening to this, uh, you know, woman and her husband or husband, right? Whatever. Um, it just felt too much like a final destination. And because of that, and because of my lack of love for the final destination franchise, it just kind of left me a little sour. I will admit that Rebecca Hall's performance is spectacular. She does a great job, you know, very compelling, very just the the spectrum of emotions are all there. You know, the happiness, the sadness, depression, anger, all of it is there. She does a spectacular job. And like I said, on a technical aspect, the movie is A plus tip top. 
just for me personally, um, the story didn't work as well for me. It's it's a fine story. Don't get me wrong. I'm not necessarily saying that I'm not railing against it necessarily. But like I said, just once we get the reveal of what's actually happen happening, it felt too much like another horror franchise. And that kind of I don't want to say it turned me off. But because I'm not the biggest fan of the franchise that it reminded me of, that kind of indifference kind of carried over to the Nighthouse. So unfortunately, it didn't hit me quite as hard as it did Mike, but I still fully admit I mean, it's going to be on most people's top tens this year. I mean, from what I'm seeing already from, you know, like the like uh, Rolling Stone and Variety and a lot of the other like, you know, publications that have already put out their top ten horror of the year. It's on there. It's and it's high on there too. Most people have it at around three or four, so it's not a surprise to see Mike have it at number two. But just for whatever it's worth, like I said, it just didn't hit me as well as it hit a lot of people. But still, a great movie. Well, well worth watching. Um, apologies, but I'm more distracted by your uh, supposed dislike of the final uh, destination. I didn't say dislike. After just lack of love. Uh, yeah, not dislike. I, I like I like Final Destination. I just don't love it. You know what I mean? So um, it's one of those things that Final Destination is just kind of a guilty pleasure type franchise. You know, you just turn your brain off and watch good looking white people get killed off in creative ways. I mean, I'm down for that. Don't get me wrong. But then when we get an art house movie, a movie that's being hailed as one of the best horror films of the year, and it reminds me of a franchise that I just kind of like, it, it leaves me a little sour. That's all. Just just a little. Um, like I said, it's still a great movie. I'm not going to take anything away from the movie. This is my personal opinion. Personally, the story wasn't as effective for me. I think the same thing of It Follows. It Follows is a movie that's universally loved. Most people seem to like it. Guess what, folks? I do not. <laughs> I the, the concept of a sexually transmitted curse just doesn't work for me, even though the film is incredibly well made. I mean, I would pretty much say everything I just said about The Night House uh, carries over to It Follows. Great performances, great cinematography, good kills, um, actually some great kills in, in It Follows, but just the story doesn't work for me at a level that it works for other people. So, yeah, two great movies that maybe I'm not as high on as I should be. That's all. <laughs> and you're definitely high, but just not high. <laughs> no, just ah, I wish. <laughs> Maybe I'd have liked it if I was high. Who knows? <laughs> Rebecca, um, Rebecca, Hall, say Mr. Venom in the mirror five times, and then we can chat about it. Yes, then you'll show up with the goods. There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, that concludes our ten through two. So, is this where we're going to break in with some honorable mentions before we do our our ones? Might as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. if, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I thought you were done. Uh, I mean, if you, if you want me, I, I can throw out a couple. Um, well, Fear Street 78, we've obviously already talked about. My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Another movie we've already talked about, so we don't need to get into those again. But those were two movies that I very highly regarded this year. Just, you know, really, really nice, well-made movies that just barely missed my top ten. Um, A couple others that haven't been discussed today, and this one is the sheer definition of the guilty pleasure. I would not imagine this would even sniff anyone's top ten, but for me, it brought me so much joy watching it that I, I, I just... 
I actually bought the film and, and honestly, I think I've only bought two 2021 horror films on Blu-ray and um, this is one of them. It's Willie's Wonderland. I'm sorry. I know it's a, it's a glorified banana splits from a couple of years ago, but it worked for me in so many ways. I love the score. Any horror movie that ends with Freebird is okay in my book. And then, like I said, just Nick Cage's um, dialogue-free performance. Uh, I, I am already a Nick Cage fan, so it wasn't hard to love this movie. But um, like I said, I'm not going to sit here and say it's one of the best movies of the year by any stretch. It's just an absolute guilty pleasure. Um, like I said, I bought it because I know this is something I'm going to watch a lot over the years. So, uh, And then a couple others that I won't get too deeply into. Haha, <laughs> deep. No pun intended. The Deep House. Um this is one that I think we all really liked, but for the most part, we had issues with the ending. Um, I just felt like the ending of the dark, uh, the deep house didn't kind of match the tension of the rest of the movie. Um, and it was just a little underwhelming. That's all considering how great the movie was leading up to the final scene. Um, it just kind of fizzles out a little bit at the end, but still a very effective film for a movie that takes place three quarters underwater. I mean, three quarters, it, the movie is an hour and 20 minutes long and only 20 minutes of the movie are spent out of the water. The last hour of the film is all underwater and it still ends up being incredibly effective, tense, almost scary at times. So yeah, the deep house. And then the last uh, honorable mention for me is going to be the French werewolf movie that came out on shutter earlier this year. That is Teddy. Uh, Teddy was, uh, this was a different kind of werewolf movie cause it was more like a character study, which again, you know, people know that I'm a fan of the slower paced character studies. And I just really liked Teddy's character. He came off as very organic, like believable, you know, he's a kid with problems. He's got a girlfriend that he maybe doesn't treat as well as he should. He, he just comes off as very human. And then once we get that final scene and we get kind of the, the, the final answer of does, is Teddy the thing that he believes he is? Um, it just, it was just incredibly effective for me. A very sad ending, um, you know, depending on what side of the fence you fall on with characters in the movie. But for me, totally effective. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Uh, just barely out of my top 10. All right. Um, my honorable mentions. Uh, this was the um, horror comedy that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, I, I don't think anybody ever talked about how much fun it was. Uh, mine was Witness Infection. Um, I thought that was <laughs> the best of the the best of the horror comedies we covered. Um, I know, yeah, like I said, I'm only covering sh uh, movies that were on the show, but um, <laughs> I, I always thought that one was a lot more fun than it gave anybody ever gave it uh, credit for. Um, I did have Fear Street 1666. Um, I, I just because it on uh, I wasn't as wasn't as high on the first half. Um, it felt like a condensed version of the Crucible. But um, other than that, I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, my last one, uh, it was gonna be on my list, but I, I, I in my heart, I just I can't call it a horror film. Uh, my number three was Censor. What? Censor, yeah, I, I really like Censor. I just, um, when we reviewed it, I think my biggest issue with it was the third act. Um, yeah, that's, third where, act. that's where I, that's where I fall <laughs> off too. Cause yeah. to me, the third act, it kind of takes the film out of it being a horror film for me. I, I, 
I, I, I, I just I can't call it a horror film. That, and I, I think it's because the third act just doesn't feel as earned. Yeah, it definitely kind of has a psychological thriller vibe to it. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, if that third act wasn't so frantic, I definitely could see censor in my top ten because I was totally on board for the first two acts. I yeah, love the here. character, the female character. Um, just getting that view into censorship, something that we don't often kind of see, um, especially considering, you know, of the time period and the fact that they were dealing with, like, you know, the video nasty era. Um, all of that was really effective for me. But like I said, the third act was just a little too um, – it's almost like the same complaint I have about Malignant, that the third act just felt so different from the rest of the movie that it kind of took me out of it. doesn't necessarily make it a bad movie. In both instances, they're good movies. It's just I wish they were a little bit more consistent with their tone yeah. uh, through all three acts. Yeah, same here. Um, I, like I said, I think you and I agreed on that with, when we reviewed Malignant. So yeah, um, it, that that was my issue with that one as well. Um, I, I I just think Sensor's a better film. I think yes. this is yeah, Sensor's a far better film. Um, I actually find her just as you know far more compelling to watch. Just it it just it falls short of it being a horror film for me. Otherwise, yeah, I would have put this on my on my actual legitimate list instead of it being an honorable mention, just because I don't think it's enough of a horror film to mm-hmm. count. But it's. It's still a film we covered on this show, so I'm uh, giving it its props. Nice. Mike? All right. So um, I would also say Censor is an honorable mention. Some of the ones that um, were on your guys' list, uh, The Stylist, uh, Last Night in Soho. Um, I also have uh, The Columnist as uh, an honorable mention. Not sure if you guys have seen that. But uh, that really deals with kind of uh, commentary and criticism of uh, social media uh, and the fact that uh, more like people who comment on stuff and are just mean and nasty um, on social media. Uh, what else do I got in here? So I, I, I will say because, you know, we don't include uh, – horror tv on this because it's strictly movies i do kind of want to give a shout out to horror tv in 2021 i feel like we're going through maybe a little uh another renaissance period that we had like a decade ago um because we got dexter returning which has turned out to be really good so far um the chucky series was a nice surprise um and yellow jackets the new show um is great uh midnight mass amazing mm-hmm. uh squid game oh, um and that new one that i haven't seen yet is it called Hellbound? is that what it is that everyone was talking about recently um that one's on netflix too which i'll probably start pretty soon but uh yeah and then i mean you know some of the mainstays are still around too whoever's still watching them besides me like walking dead fear the walking dead all that kind of stuff but i feel like we're you know in that another period where like some new stuff in horror tv that's actually good is coming out um i feel like you know it seems like this happens every decade or so where it comes back in new forms and i wish it would just never go away but 
you know, it, it's a victim of like everything. It gets stagnant when it's been around too long, especially if it's the same show. So, well, um, yeah, I feel like every resurgence in horror television has died because of just oversaturation. Because like you said, every 10 years, it seems like horror television shows like the quality goes up. But then we start. But then once that popularity and the demand for horror television goes up, then we start getting a lot of like secondary shows and maybe you know stuff like slasher um, that you know and the scream show you know stuff like that that maybe wasn't as good and kind of ended that era of horror television and now we're kind of back to it like you said where we I mean we're getting a, a series from Mike Flanagan like every 2 years who is like literally one of my favorite directors of the last 10 years and he just yeah. keeps hitting it out of the park he just keeps getting better and better i can't get over it for you know for a series based around christianity i did not think i was going to like midnight mass as much as say haunting of hill house but i by the time we were done i liked it head and shoulders more than hill house so and i still love all three of flanagan's you know the hill house bly manor and midnight mass i know he's done other stuff but you know the three big ones um i i love them all and i feel like he's getting better so yeah Hopefully the oversaturation doesn't happen again, but you could almost bet money that it's going to it's going to happen again, you know, and and we're going to all the quality horror shows are going to go away because we're going to be bombarded with secondary shows that aren't nearly as good, which will make the demand for the higher quality ones go down. So, you know, it's an ebb and flow. You know, it's basically it's a cycle. Everything is cyclical. So. You know, Mike is right. We are we are in a really good stage right now for horror television. I I probably still only watched like four or five series this year. I don't watch as much horror TV as Mike does. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I still watched a lot. I still saw some great things. I mean, Squid Game was just an absolute shock. Um, just cause you know, I wasn't expecting something like that, you know, I mean, obviously Korea does some great, great stuff, but I, I just did not expect something that, I mean, w- within halfway through the first episode, you're just addicted, completely addicted. And yeah. yeah. And, and it ends hey, so yeah. well. Ugh. I think a big part <laughs> of it too, is the, the continuing prevalence of, uh, streaming services, because mm-hmm. as great as squid game is, could you ever see like, you know, NBC or ABC oh. or even like <laughs> FX or AMC picking up? No, the only thing yeah. I could see them doing is like attempting to buy the rights to like remake it, which they would probably screw up and it, it wouldn't be nearly yeah. as good if good at all. Canceled three episodes in because no one's watching it, you know, exactly that kind of <laughs> stuff. So this is where streaming services really play a big role in like bringing international TV where, you know, I, I, I almost feel like they got Squid Game and put it on there, not realizing it would be a huge hit, and it just caught fire. Um, yep. Because they have like, opposed to like back in the day, now they you know they actually have like, uh, I believe like a Korean specific uh, category on there now for like Korean dramas or oh yeah they've had that for a couple TV years. Or, yeah, it's crazy. Um, Good stuff. So my okay. So my final honorable mention. This is the biggest asterisk of asterisks that I could give for honorable mention because I will say, if this would have been on my list, it probably would have been vying for that number one spot and it would have pushed my number. Well, I would say it would have been a tough call. Okay. Um, 
but there's a good chance it would have pushed the number one into number two, thus pushing everything back one. But I just couldn't um, come to a decision on whether it's horror enough or just has some horror elements in it, but not enough. And I really didn't even want to like have the discussion because um, I was just like, you know, I'll just leave it on my honorable mentions and stick to like the no doubt horror stuff on my list just to make it easier. But uh, for those that haven't seen this, go see Titan from the director of raw. I, it was one hell of an experience, one Mm -hmm. hell of a ride. It's, I'll admit on a, it's a hard movie to fully digest on the first watch just because (laughs) it is out there. It's wacky in parts. It's, Obviously, a lot of subtext going on, but man, just the fact that a movie like this can get like a wide enough release that I can go see it, or I I was able to go see it in the theater, uh, like I'm just like wow, it's, it's amazing mm-hmm. that uh, there was enough acclaim on it that I could go see it, and it didn't disappoint. And uh, it's it's not going to be for everyone, but like I said, I loved it, and. Uh, if it was a straight up horror movie, it would have been near the top, if not at the top of my list. So Titan, definitely uh, check out. I would have been okay if you included that because I I feel like Titan... I know I've seen it on a horror list, so I felt oh, like yeah. there was enough justification. But <laughs> I was just going back and forth on it. I was like, ah, eh, right. Well, I mean, personally, you know, I, I I there's enough horrific elements of this film, especially that final scene that just leaves you scratching your fucking head. But it's, it's kind of like the way I look at lamb. It's kind of a dark fantasy film, but, but the difference is, is that this one is way more violent. I mean, you actually are dealing with a serial killer. I mean, we actually have a serial killer in the film. So to me, that's solidly horror. Um, Obviously it's got action elements and drama and, and, you know, kind of art house style to it. But yeah, I would be very okay with putting it in the top 10. In fact, I think this is 10 times the horror movie of this director's first movie. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I don't understand the love of raw. I don't understand how people call that one of the most disturbing films they've ever seen. I feel like people that only watch Disney movies make that statement, but you know, I'm in the minority there. I know that there's a lot of horror podcasters and horror movie viewers in general that loved raw. I don't hate raw. Don't get me wrong. I think we actually didn't, did we No, we didn't review it here. I think I reviewed it on the horror cast, but um, it's just one of those things that because of its uh, marketing and talking about how it's one of the most disturbing films ever made and that people were vomiting and passing out at the screeners. It's just like, nah. And then when I saw it, I walked out of the theater thinking I saw the wrong damn movie. So yeah, raw, th- that, that may be another movie to go with. It follows and the night house that it's kind of universally loved, but I just don't understand it. <laughs> I don't understand the universal love for it because I don't know. It's barely a horror movie to me. To me, Raw is not even a horror movie. It's a drama. It's a drama around cannibalism. But just because there's cannibalism in it doesn't make it a horror movie to me. So I, I would say Titan is ten times the horror film Raw is. So I would have been okay with it. <laughs> but not at number one. I, I would have hit you. <laughs> just because yeah. I know what it would have bumped at number one, and that just can't happen. It cannot happen. <laughs> So with that being said, can we deviate from the status quo just for a second? If Mike's done with his honorable mentions, if we're yep. done with this, 
I think I would like to I like to intrude just a bit and allow you guys to name your number one because I think you guys have the same one. And I'm sure. I, yeah, um, I think I'll, I, I think I'll let you guys talk about yours and then I'll I'll do mine at the end just because I, I think to your list I I have the strongest of suspicions and I'm going to take the strongest of leaps that you guys have the same one. I'm Which also assuming we odd. do only because I'm, I'm like right. <laughs> Yeah. I'm saying it's Saint Mod, Mike. Uh, Saint number one. Yeah. Yep. yep. Saint Mod yeah. is my number one. Yeah, you guys can yeah. go ahead and have the floor for a few minutes. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, this is the best movie I saw this year, regardless of genre. This is literally my favorite film of the year. And I loved Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man No Way Home would probably be my number two movie of the year. But Saint Ma- this, this film, I started my top ten list with A24, and I'm ending it with A24. And if people remember... I, I am an A24 stan. I don't care. I'll, I'll fucking admit it. I got no problem with that. They make some of the most compelling horror films um, or psychological thrillers. If you don't think that they're always horror, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with that. But stuff like The Witch, Hereditary, um, It Comes at Night, and then now St. Maud. The, the, these films are just so incredibly well made. And once again, we have a first time writer director. She's done shorts, but this is her feature length debut. All these A24 directors that are absolutely hitting, hitting home runs on their first attempt is ridiculous. I actually started to think the other day that when A24 starts putting out more normal movies, like middle of the road, people are going to think they're going down because of their first 10 years and, and just the track record that they have. Um, like I said, with all the movies that I already named plus, uh, and plus lamb was my number 10, of course. So yeah, mm-hmm. St. Maud, it, it's a slow burn. It is a, it is 100% a character study of this girl what she's going through emotionally, what she's going through with her quote-unquote God, even the interpretations of the film. I mean, I've heard like three or four different interpretations of the film, and they're all valid. I wouldn't argue with any of them. Um, Three of them don't match my interpretation of the film, but again, that's okay. I mean, this is the kind of movie that gets you thinking. This is the movie that you're either going to hate right off the bat and not care about, which again, fine, or it's a movie that's going to leave you talking about it for months. And that's exactly what happened to me. I found myself talking to this, uh, talking about this movie, especially with uh, foreign podcasters, people like Duncan McLeish from Podcast Under the Stairs, because St. Maud came out a year earlier for him. And it was actually his number one movie of 2020. And once I saw it, it's just we went off on a tangent talking about this film and just all the ideas, the symbolism, the concepts that are explored. And I, I, I know that there's going to be a lot of people out there that say this is an hour and 25 minute movie that doesn't even become a horror movie until the last five minutes. I understand that argument, but I, but once, especially on rewatches, like the tension of that first hour is so just palpable to me. I, I, I just adore it. I get goosebumps watching this film. I know, I know it's a kind of a exaggeration, but I mean, I, I, I get goosebumps watching this movie, any scene in this movie. It's so well performed, so well written, so well edited. 
you know, it, it is, it's almost a 10 out of 10 to me. Like it's almost a hundred out of a hundred. Like I'd probably give it a 99 out of a hundred that there is nothing wrong with this movie. There's not one wasted word of dialogue. There's not a wasted emotion. There's not a wasted scene or filler. I mean, the movie's only 84 minutes long. So once again, you know, th- these shorter films are, they're able to get their point across quicker. This is a movie that easily could have been two hours. And if it was two hours, it probably would have pissed off even more people than it already pissed off. But the fact that we, you know, that we get it, this story in 84 minutes and it's still so incredibly compelling, at least for somebody like me, it, it it's not even a question. This movie has been my number one since the day I saw it, February 12th of 2021, and it has not changed since that day. It has been my number one the whole rest of the year, and it will be my number one uh, of 2021 forever. I will happily declare my love of this film and I absolutely look forward to Rose Glass's uh, next project. Uh, This was just, this was so impressive. I mean, this may be to me more impressive than like Robert Eggers on the witch or Ari Aster on hereditary, you know, their debut films for a two, four, this is right up there and potentially granted, not nearly as visceral as the first two movies I mentioned, but I I hold this movie on a pedestal. I adore this film, everything about it and everyone in it. And when I said I only bought two movies on Blu-ray this year, it's St. Maud and Willy's Wonderland. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, this movie accomplishes everything it needs to in such a short running time. That is super impressive as well. It feels like there's nothing wasted. There's no scenes that are unnecessary. We don't. There's no filler to it all it gets right to it uh and lets us know everything we need to know about saint Maud or Maud, and um uh i i just feel like you know for the criticism that oh well it doesn't become a horror movie until well guess what if all that stuff is going on every other scene throughout the movie then once we finally get to it it it's not going to have that kind of impact we need to learn about this person before you know, the bigger stuff starts happening or it's not going to come off the way it does. There's a reason for it. And there's a reason it happens when it does in the story. And there's a reason why it slowly builds. And then once it gets to the point of no return, it's like a free fall from there. And just, I mean, how are you not impacted by that final scene? Right. It's just Uh crazy. And uh, it's visceral. It's everything you want in a horror movie, uh, to me at least. And uh, yeah, yeah, I I have a similar um, reaction it, when I saw it. I mean, I, we it came out relatively early in the year, so to say mm-hmm. it was our favorite at that point wasn't going to be a leap. But the fact that nothing, nothing. I mean, like I said, other than seeing Titan, which was close, if I would have had it on my list, that really is the only contender for me that could have possibly unseated it, but it probably it would have been still number one, but the man, it's, I still like think about it just it, like, I, I still think about the central themes in it and different interpretations and yep. what, you know, I kind of compare to my interpretation and try to like, see what I think I still have right and what maybe I've changed on and, 
Mm-hmm. It's it's a great example of filmmaking, and the yeah. cast in it is great. It's a it's a pretty small cast with you know. I I just reiterate like it feels like there's nothing in the movie that's just there just to pad anything. Yeah. It it it's very tight and precise and deliberate and yeah gets the job done. And one of the things that I really noticed watching it this week was how many elements from other great films are kind of in here. Like I saw elements of the original Carrie in this film. I saw elements of taxi driver. Think about, think about the basic story of taxi driver of, of, uh, you know, Robert De Niro's character, Travis, what riffle was his name or something like that. Um, how he's trying to save this. Uh, yeah. How he's trying to save, you know, Jodie Foster's prostitute character, trying to get her off the streets. Maud is taxi driver. She's she's trying to save Amanda's soul, um, obviously at the request of her quote unquote God. But just um, the way the similarities between those two movies and I did see similarities to others, too. So even though this movie doesn't really directly rip off any classic films. The fact that I'm seeing elements of them in there in a very subtle way just makes me love the movie even more. Like when I made the taxi driver connection, I'm like, holy shit, this is a religious taxi driver. It's exactly what I'm watching is a religious version of taxi driver. And I just, it just made me love the movie even more. So yeah, spectacular. Mm-mm. All right, Don. Um, are you gonna join in on this Saint Maud as number one thing? Probably not. <laughs> you gotta go first. But uh, why, why do you, you think I interjected? Why do you think I interjected and gave you guys the floor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You just have to refer to the episode. Um, what little I spoke of that one, which unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. issues beyond my control prevented me from saying much more, but um, that's sorry for another day. Uh, my number one, um, as alluded to earlier, and uh, because it's me, I'm going to do what Venom couldn't do and say it's Ratu Ilmu Hitam, or nice. the Queen of Black Magic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so <Yes>. happy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, for me, yeah, this was, was a no contest. Um, Ah, uh, God, so brutal, so over the top, so chilling, so disturbing, so visceral. Yeah, this is this is up there. Um, probably it's not my favorite of this Indonesian new wave. I still say Satan Slays is a yeah. hair better, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, this is a a solid left hook to that right jab. Um, ah, uh, this was so much fun. Uh. I, I I love this one. It made mm-hmm. my number one of 2020, and it's uh, my number one of 2021 because, as we all know, I'm only doing the show under the films covered under Fresh Cuts. Mm-hmm. So, it is technically uh, 2021 in the states, anyway. So exactly. So yeah. yeah. Um, even though I saw it in 2020 and covered it then, where it was my number two of the year, I think it was either my number one or number two of 2020. I don't. Uh, Mm-hmm. 2020, uh, I, I don't remember, but um, for <laughs> none of us fresh, do. <laughs> yeah, for fresh cuts of 2021, uh, this is my number one movie of the year, and no contest. Yeah, this one was there the second we covered it. So, yeah, if yeah. A24 wasn't such a great studio, this would also be my number one. Obviously, it was my number two. Right. Um, <laughs> I I love this movie. I mean, I mean, what else can be said about it? Every every second of this movie is fun, tense. 
um, you know, scary. Just man, the score, uh, the the story, oh, the brutality of you know what mm. happens to the kids on the bus and what happens to the other victims. I'm still raving about the mirror kill, the girl who kills herself in front of the mirror, or not mm. kills herself, but you you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that scene still affects me because that's a legitimate, real scene. Like women with bulimia actually look in the mirror and see themselves as fat, even though they're like 86 pounds soaking wet. So to actually see that kind of mental health portrayed in a horror film um, and with such great uh, results. Yeah. It's a stellar film. Any other year it would be my number one, but you know, a two, four, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I don't have much else to add. (laughs) Oh, 2021. <laughs> yeah. Finally be able to put a pin on 2021. Hell of a year. <laughs> a year two of the pandemic, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we're coming up on it. We're coming up on it, yeah. We're almost yeah, like a month away. A couple months. Uh, March, well, for me, it was March, what, 15th was my first day of working at home. So, yeah, we're coming up on the anniversary, the two-year anniversary. Um, but yeah, yeah, let's, uh, I still am going to go back and see Mike's number four movie because, uh, it sounds incredibly interesting. And if I end up liking it enough that it would have been in my top 10, I'm going to be mad that no one told me about it. So let's see, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'll try to find it. You know, if I don't find it, you know, in legal ways, I I may get slightly nefarious, but yeah, I, I, just everything that Mike said about it, everything Don said about it, it just sounds like something I'm really, really going to get into. So, and, and it's short, like Mike said, so I'm excited. So I got one more 2021 movie to watch and then I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, yeah, great show. Great picks. I think looking at all our lists, I think, uh, pretty happy. I mean, with all of them and it just shows like, Sometimes, you know, people might have perceptions of how the year went, but then you look at, like, the movies that you really liked, and it's like, it's actually pretty strong with when all is said and done. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like I was saying earlier, it's stronger than you thought, but very, very few of these if would have been up, would have been on the list if they would have been released last year. Uh, for some reason, just 2020 was just so shocking that I, like, it, I said it on the show, my entire list was 10 out of 10s. Um, I think there has only nice. been one or two other years that that actually happened. And there was only like maybe two or three that were even remotely close for me this year. So, or 2021. Yeah. There was only like two or three yeah. that were remotely close. So yeah, very, very stronger than I thought, but it, not as strong overall as I would say 2020 was. Mm-hmm. For whatever it's worth, I'm pretty sure that if St. Maud would have come out in 2020, it probably still would have been my number one, because my number one last year was VFW, if you remember, uh, another guilty pleasure movie that just, it made me so happy watching it that it couldn't not be my number one, so, but I still probably would have put St. Maud above it just because of the sheer artistic value of St. Maud, but yeah, um, uh, I, I do agree with you for the most part, though. A lot of these films probably would not be in my top 10 if they came out in 2020. But again, I'm not going to call 2021 a weak year. I'm just going to say maybe not as much horror as we would have liked, but 
what we got, I still liked a lot of it. Like I, I can honestly only say that I probably watched only five or six turds this year. And I usually watch like double digits worth of turds on any given year of horror. But this year, you know, I mentioned Aquarium of the Dead and Ape versus Monster earlier. Um, Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls is maybe oh, another I one. I like that, that one. That one was. Cool. I liked it, but it's such a silly movie. It's hard I to know. Good. <laughs> but I know, it yeah. a, it's a guilty pleasure. You know, it's, yeah. it's something that we enjoy. Don and I love our sci-fi originals, so it, it totally tracks that we would both like that movie. But like I said, the the point is, is that I'm actually impressed with the lack of like ones and twos out of tens that I gave this year because i'm usually very judgmental with my movies and this year like i said looking at my list of about 120 21 films i watched i've only got a couple that are under three out of ten so for whatever it's worth the middle the middle quality films of 2021 got better uh maybe the top end wasn't nearly as good as the top end of the last couple of years but overall i still really enjoyed 2021 and hey, we got out of the house too, so we we got to at least enjoy that. We got our movie theaters back. That's that alone is mo- monumental for somebody like me who basically lives at the theater. I mean, there's not a Saturday or Sunday generally that I'm not at the theater. And yeah, with the pandemic, it just put a squash on that shit. So yeah, as soon as they opened the theaters, I I think the first movie I went to see when they opened theaters was Nobody. Um, which, of course, is an action movie with uh, what Bob Odenkirk in it. But it's definitely something I wouldn't normally see in theaters. But I was just so excited to get the fuck out of the house and go back to the theaters that I went. And yeah, so, you know, we're because of the pandemic, I think we're still going to suffer a little bit. You know, we're not going to get as many horror projects. Um, hopefully with everything opening up this year, we'll be able to get a lot more movies in 2022. Obviously we already got some big releases and scream and stuff like that early in the year. So, you know, here's the 2022 and here's hoping that I I can actually hit like 200 movies this year. I doubt it, but let's try. (laughs) We all have goals. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Brand new year ahead of us, um, but you know, before we wrap it up here, let's see if we have any existing episodes for people to listen to. I guess maybe new year, new listeners, so they can get reacquainted with our other stuff. So, Venom, do you uh, have anything out there? I mean, I haven't recorded anything except one show in the last two weeks. That was my guest spot on Cut to the Chase where we looked at Jack Frost 2. Yes, the classic Jack Frost 2, which, <laughs> it's better my God, it says you. <laughs> oh, I, thought it was mild, I thought it was miles better than the original. I'll say the kills were better, but man, there, there's so much lacking in that film. Anyway, check out that episode of Cut to the Chase if you're interested in our opinions on Jack Frost 2. Um, the latest episode of Creature Comforts is still episode four. It dropped last week. We looked at Santa Jaws for December. So basically the first episode where we, where we didn't look at like a classic creature feature. Um, but I'm sure we'll be back to our classic creature features in January. We haven't specifically picked the movie yet, so I'm not going to announce anything, but you know, we're, we're going to keep our once a month schedule through 2022, unless somehow more free time pops up, but we'll have to see. And, um, in all honesty, that's about it. Unfortunately, I'm, uh, because of my new job, I had to step away from some podcasts that I do. So unfortunately you're not going to hear me on. It's not horror 
or okay anymore. You're probably not going to hear me on In the Mic of Madness. If that show ever even comes back, anybody who watches or listens to that show knows we've only done one episode in the last year. So, you know, who knows if that one's even still alive. But yeah, so I'm I'm solidly a No More Room in Hell guy now. Uh, check out all three No More Room in Hell shows. That's, of course, the main show, Fresh Cuts and Creature Comforts. And who knows, we might try to expand the brand a little bit more in 2022. So uh, I'll, I'll leave that little bit of suspense there for everybody. Otherwise, yeah, like I said, I don't really have anything much new. I tend to take the last couple of weeks of the year off for rewatches and, and you know, any odd guest spots that I might have. Cut to the Chase is the only one that I do every December. So, you know, I'm never going to say no to those guys. So, yeah. Uh, that's about it for me. Kind of light, I know. And probably moving forward, it's going to be light. No more 20-minute long podcast uh, updates. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Don. Uh, how about you? All right. Um, the only th- um, the main thing to mention is uh, Venom's uh, Creature Comforts and uh, the other show, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. I think we're just waiting on a recording date for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing to mention for me is that, um, as I promised all of uh, December, my show is finally out now. Um, I have the first, well, technically there's two, but um, there's a bonus um, episode zero and uh, officially episode one of my show, The Horror Countdown. It's uh, officially out now. I think it's on most services. I, I'd, I'd have to look. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard anybody tell me that they couldn't find it, so I think I've got it on enough platforms, but um, for those that don't know, it's essentially a top 10 countdown show, um, just like what we just did tonight. Um, hopefully, we're not going to run over two hours for whatever reason. <laughs> um, yeah, it's basically uh, pick a topic and uh, come up with a top 10 list, and uh, we'll count it down, like, like it says in the title. So um, episode zero, which is just a brief little intro on me. Um, I figure most people, even if they know who I am here on Fresh Cuts, they're not intimately familiar with the rest of the stuff I've done. So I just did a little brief intro on me, did a little um, behind the scenes, what the show is going to be about. And then keeping in brand with the show, I did a top 10 countdown of my favorite films of all time. And then episode one, uh, which is the official episode one, is uh, top ten Canadian horror with a friend of mine, uh, Bill Van Vagel from uh, Land of the Creeps and uh, Phantom Galaxy. We did uh, top ten Canadian horror. So uh, be on the lookout for that one. It's it's already out. Like I said, episode two is coming up. This is a countdown on top ten ghost movies. With a uh, another podcast group of uh, friends of mine, um, the podcast that wouldn't die. Uh, that one should be out um, by the time next week's episode is out. So I'll talk about that then. But um, other than that, that's uh, it for me. Sounds awesome! Congrats on the new show. Yeah, thanks. Uh, looking forward to you guys whenever you uh, have free time. Oh yeah, I already got yeah. my topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah, I definitely got to get on there. I, I figure maybe you had some like uh, guest spots that already lined up. So I was like, once that dies down, I'll throw my hat in the ring. I'll say I'll say this right now. In December, I've recorded everything for January. So all four of my January episodes are recorded. 
Right now, I'm working actually on um, the March releases. So I've already got everything planned out for February, and we're working on March. So nice. Yeah, um, getting more stuff every day. So uh, I start now, and I'll probably fit you in for St. Patrick's Day or something. (laughs) Sweet. Let's get drunk. Sounds yeah, like leprechaun franchise yeah. review, but I'm not going to ask you to watch. Those. <laughs> nah. I'm not going to ask you to watch those for the first no, time on no. the show. But yeah, that's just uh, like I said. Um, if you if you catch me now at the time you at the time you hear this, I'll, I'll it'll probably be for either April or May. Let's just say that. Cool, sweet. Um, as far as I go, yeah, I had most of December off. Um, I did, uh, 12 days of Chasemus. We did eight, it's called eight bit Christmas. Um, so check that out. And uh, me and Gary and Suzanne managed to record an episode of burning for Springwood the other week, which is now available. We are actually almost to the end of the first season. If you can believe it, only two more episodes to cover until we complete the first season. So, um, I guess congrats to us for surviving this long through Freddy's Nightmares, but uh, <laughs> check that out if that interests you at all. But other than that, yeah, looking forward to getting back to the grind or the podcasting grind in 2022. It was kind of nice to have a few weeks off for the most part, just, uh, you know, watching just for the sake of other than prepping, you know, for this show or the top 10 show, I mean, specifically, um, just kind of relaxing and watching TV and movies just for the hell of it. Uh, I, I grabbed quite the 4k haul for Christmas. So, um, watching those, most of those, you know, classic movies that, you know, I've loved for over the years that I upgraded. Um, so just getting a chance to throw those on, Watching them for the first time in a long time was a joy. Um, but yeah, a new year and a new set of fresh cuts coming weekly. So looking forward to that. Uh, looks like, I believe, Venom, we talked about a little bit before we start recording. The first episode is likely going to be on something VOD because there's nothing theatrical yeah. releasing at the end of this week. <laughs> I think you nope. said Netflix was releasing something, right? Yeah, um, I got an email that they were dropping a genre film, one this week and one next week. So, I mean, we've got a couple of choices from Netflix, but obviously next week we got Scream, so. Yeah, um, I, I think, yeah, I think uh, the it's the third episode, right? That's going to be Scream or the second one? Might be the second, I believe, because I think we it opens next Friday. So yeah, we got one more episode. So it'll be the third episode of the year, technically. But you, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was counting after this one. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, cool. All right, cool. Nice. Well, um, all right. Yeah, for the, for all the returning listeners, thanks. Uh, hope you uh, enjoyed the top ten show. Once the episode drops on and it gets posted in the group. And on uh, YouTube, feel free to drop your own list or react to our list or tell us what we were wrong about not including our list. Doesn't matter. Just, uh, you know, share your own thoughts because, you know, everyone's going to have their own opinions on what they feel were the best and all are pretty much welcome. So uh, with that said, thanks for checking out another episode of Fresh Cuts. We will be back in a week's time with another episode. Until then... Let's say bye to the listeners.
Adios and fuck 2021. Later. Peace.